I think I may have got the go uh, on live. Got the COVID. Just keep smoking, you'll be fine. Well, al too much alcohol and yeah, t CBD. Good CBD. Hey everybody, welcome to the Growing Up Vicious Podcast, episode 198. This week we have Spartan Grown. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. I'm a little starstruck. I'm 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 uh, so glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also have uh, Roger from ILGM. How y'all doing this week? Uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun tonight. Oh yeah, be a lot of fun. Um, uh, if you guys aren't familiar with this, you, uh, the show, you can check us out every Tuesday and Thursday, or most Tuesdays and Thursdays, and uh, live on YouTube and um, uh, on your favorite podcast app if you want to listen to us in audio format. Um, so, yeah, uh, I thought we'd bring uh, Spartan Grown on. I listen to Spartan Grown. He's on a, a couple of other shows, uh, Growing with My Fellow Growers, as well as uh, the Michigan was it Michigan Grow Brothers or Michigan? It's the Michigan Bros Grow Show. Michi it's Michigan fun, Bros man. Grow Show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll check that out. Michigan Bros Grow Show. Okay. It really is kind of a unique concept, what, what we've done there with that as far as the YouTube. Um, it's almost like a hub. The, the Michigan Bros Grow Show. We're, we're basically a bunch of, a group of friends that hang out and smoke, and, and we're all growers. And uh, we've met through, um, they started a podcast, uh, Sequence and Skillbo. Originally, it was just a, an audio podcast, and then they brought it on to YouTube. Well, that spawned a live show we do every Sunday. And then um, they have uh, little side shows that spotlight different people. So like Monday nights, we have uh, the late night sesh with Skillbo and Red Setter Farms. And then on uh, Saturdays, we have the Frugal Force, where we kind of, we're, um, concentrating more on um, trying to save money and not having to, you know, spend tons and tons and tons of dollars on just growing some good food. And I, I, I promised abolish that ask you, Steve. So I'm going to ask <laughs> you right here on air. He, he would love for you anytime you have time to come on the show because he wants to pick your brain on his system. What he's got set up, imagine a four by four tray. It's similar to your dual root zone in a way. Okay, a, um, a four by four tray, you fill it with hydrogen balls, clay balls, and then you take your fabric pots that you have filled with a living soil of some sort, and you just set them on that, on those balls, and you use that. It's almost like a soma sip kind of style, and you water and fill up the balls, and the, and the roots grow down through, and you have kind of like a dual root zone. What his question to you would be was he would like to know how he would go about, you know, frugally um, try to get some kind of aquaponics into that system. Like, could he exchange maybe the water in there somehow? I don't know, I haven't really figured it out myself, but I told him I'd ask you. <laughs> sure, so um, what, you know, depending on the size, is, is he doing a grow tent? Is it a four by four? He's got different systems. So he's expanded it in many different things. So he's, he's, he's done as little as a, I think a two by four. And then he's got like, a, I think a four by eight tent that he's, he's doing it in too, so multiple different sizes. It's just the, the concept is the, the bottom feed, but it's, I thought it would be kind of a perfect system because you're kind of doing that same thing, aren't you? With, with aquaponics isn't a, a bottom feed once the roots get established. Yeah. So the, the bottom feed, we still do uh, top water and we can amend that differently. Um, and it gives us some, you know, additional level of control. 
beyond what the the fish can tolerate but what you could do if you wanted to easily try to hook that up to your system if you had say a, a 55 gallon aquarium uh, or any you know four foot long aquarium or, or larger generally a 40 gallon breeder is kind of the smallest for cannabis um, you really kind of need to go 55 gallons and above if you can get into that 75 or 90 gallons or 120 gallons or 110 gallon aquarium or 150 gallon 180 210 uh, or the 300s um, those would kind of be much better for for growing cannabis but you can do a hang on the back filter and then run it to a wet dry sump and then just run that to your flood and drain or, or take a, a tough tote and basically use that as your sump and then you know flood and drain off of that or maybe two of them plumb together again it would depend on the volume of the grow bed you could, you could daisy chain a few together to get to the volume you needed but then you could flood and drain that and then use it as your your fish filter as well um i've been working with a couple of people on, on a couple of retrofit kits for aquariums uh, something that we haven't quite got to the market yet but it's something that i've been I've worked on with a, probably four separate companies <laughs> and uh, for whatever reason or another, they just, you know, never got it off to, to, uh, to that final production stage. So we'll see. Well, that's exciting, man. Cause you know, I don't even, I'm, I've, I've tried to like fish. I like to look at fish, but that's about it, man. I can't, I've tried many fish and I don't like them, but I, after listening to you talk at the regenerative conference up there, uh, it was around Ann Arbor. I think it was Whitmore Lake was actually where it was, but uh and when you said that, and I've repeated it on different podcasts where you said like the, the best regenerative soil, if you look at the diversity of microbes in that bed, and then you, you compare that with like the worst aquaponics setup, the aquaponics just kills it. And so, you know, yeah, I'm a big fan. Huh? Yeah, it was a NASA, NASA funded study, uh, actually 168% <laughs> more microbes in terms of biodiversity than the most biodiverse soil. So, so yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what I, at home, that's, that's where I like to just play in my home. I'm not like super strict on every single thing. And of course I'm going organic if I'm going to be that way. And my favorite, I mean, my just basic approach is I just hit it with the, the, as most diverse microbes as I can. It's got what it needs in the soil already. You know what I mean? And uh, so I just blasted with microbes. And when you said that, I was like, just what I thought I was doing good. <laughs> And I'm glad you said that too. And I'd love for us to maybe reemphasize that. Uh, don't ever experiment with a commercial grow. Don't ever experiment with a grow you're counting on to keep your lights on. Make a separate, if, even, if it, even if it's all you have for you, because the plant count is two plants in a separate tent. Make that your experiment and make sure you have a second one that you can use as a control that you do whatever it is you normally do. Uh, or uh, Otherwise, experimenting with something doesn't really tell you a whole of a lot um so but yeah a lot of people often i see this constantly with aquaponics they'll go and experiment with their commercial system and it's like are you insane like <laughs> even in my home girl i'm only experimenting under one light that's all you get <laughs> no more oh yeah so why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do Sure. So um, I'm Spartan Grown uh, or Russ, whatever you want to call me, but I live in Michigan where not only are we medically legal, but we're also just recently um, rec legal too. And um, as soon as we, well, not as soon as it went medical legal, but I uh, started to be, in, when the medical market was open, you can be what they called caregivers. You could be a home grower 
And if you got another person or say a patient that was sick, they couldn't grow their plants because they're obviously they're sick. So you get their plants, they assign their, their 12 plants to you and you are their caregiver. So you can grow their medicine for them and su supply to them. And uh, in Michigan, you're allowed to have five, up to five patients and then obviously grow for yourself as a patient. So you could have 72 plants if you had a full card as a caregiver. So you can still do that though. You're still, you can still, still do that. That's still currently, yep. That's right. still currently going, going so the on. Recreational didn't ruin the medical in Michigan. That's, that's what oh. we talked about last year at the conference too. I talked with a whole bunch of you guys up there about, you know, just be careful because the one thing about Michigan, most people don't know is the people in Michigan kind of get to control the laws. They get to vote for laws. They don't have just politicians voting for laws. They have control. So I said, make sure you guys are all hyped up about this recreational, but make sure they don't take your medical away, which they've done in so many states, right? And home grow and to preserve the home grow rights because there has been multiple attempts to already try to pull that away. And that's the one I'm the most, most scared about. Um, but uh, yeah, and then... Um, I, I've made contacts, you know, as a, as a caregiver, I was, I was actually for like a year, I was researching into, oh, how do I grow? You know, I, cause I wanted to know, I was gonna invest money in it as far as building out a, a grow in my basement. So I wanted to know what the hell I was doing cause I wanted to make it, you know, I wanted it to be a, a good investment. So um, about a year of research and in that research, I found obviously the Dude Grow Show and as you can see with that, and you know, I've I seen Steve on, on there forever. And uh, I just, you know, and that leads me to all these other shows, you know, and I could sit here and name them all off, but I, I've been inspired by all of them, you know, because that's how I've learned all of, I didn't go to school to be, you know, in botany or anything like that. So I've learned everything from either failing <laughs> or trying something in my own garden myself with experience or just from other people or, mostly online to be 100% honest with you. So that's what I did. And then I started growing and um, fell in love with it. I was working at a factory job and we were, I worked a quad shift, which was kind of nice because I worked three 12 hour shifts, long hours, but then I got four days off. Those four days were my catch up days in the garden and everything. So I got really good. And then um, I made uh, good friends with Michigan Matt from, you know, shout out to Michigan Matt. I'd catch him at like a, uh, the Michigan, cannabis cups we went I've, I've only missed the very first one but i've been to every other high times cup and um just going to those events and getting yourself out there you see the same faces again and again and you and you um just get to talking to people well he had told me at one of the cups that he uh was looking at maybe working in my neck of the woods and um i said well hey if you ever need help you let me know i'll come out there i'll, I'll, I'll give you a hand and um i'd love to work in the grow too and uh I mean, t some time went by. I don't even remember how long it was, but uh, he uh, just hit me up out of the blue. He says, hey, you still want, you still interested? And so I went out there and I'd already been interviewing at other facilities even before that. And, um, but uh, he hit me up and as soon as I went in there, it was, w it, <laughs> when I walked in there, shout out, it was, the place is called Mint and Canico. And actually I'm wearing the shirt right now. You might've seen Scotty Real was wearing it just the other day. And, um, but uh as soon as you walk into place for one, it was a brand new building. So huge bonus. Number one, because I, when I went in there, I'm kind of looking at the place because I want signs of this is some, you know, something that has the same philosophy I do with growing. I don't want to be the factory farmer. I want somebody who gives a damn you know, about quality. So 
as soon as you walk in there, you can just see all the different things that you're like, okay, this is, this was influenced. This, this design was influenced by a grower. You know, there wasn't too many, the only complaint I can even come up with is that the, the veg is upstairs. So I have to go upstairs. If I could have one thing is everything on one floor would be wonderful. But you know, <laughs> other than that, um, it's just a joy. Every flower room has floor drains, you know, it's got the sliding tables. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a joy to work there. It's a joy to uh, work with people that grow the same way you do. And then um, I'm learning a lot both um, the owner and the COO are above me as far as I'm concerned as growers. So I love to put myself in those situations um, just like I am right now on this podcast. <laughs> and just, I just like to get around people that know way more than me on different things so that they rub off on me. You know what I mean? That's how I learn. I don't learn so much by reading something in a book. I need to just like get real life interaction and then it seems to stick better. So that's why I love sitting there. And then, I'm still growing at home now, but Michigan's dumb law, when they wrote into the law, um, if you work for a commercial facility, you have to give, you have to sign away your caregiver rights. So you can no longer be a caregiver because I work there, but you're, I'm still, because we're rec legal, I still am allowed to grow 12 plants in my home grow. So that's what I mean when I said earlier to you guys that, you know, at home, it's like kind of my play because I only have 12 plants and I can just kind of screw around with, screw around with things at home. So, uh, I think that's about covers it. Oh, and then I'm big into podcasting. So, I mean, ever since the, I can't remember, I, I watched a lot. Of, uh, that's where I get all my information, you know, and those long 12 hour shifts at work. What do you think I was doing? I was listening to the, you guys are in my ear. You know what I mean? I was listening to podcasts the whole time. Otherwise I'd be going nuts in these factories with no windows, you know? So, uh, so eventually, you know, from hanging out and chat and making these connections and uh, meeting these, the Michigan Bros Grow Show, shout out to them. Uh, they started up a, a basically YouTube network and uh, it got, got me comfortable on the camera to be able to reach out and jump on other shows. And uh, now I'm just like addicted. So I just love going on. I just love talking about cannabis. You know what I mean? If I can just talk about cannabis, I'm here. Or even soil. We don't even have to talk about cannabis. We can talk about soil. I'll, I'll talk about growing anything. Let, let's talk, man. You know, that's that's the way I am. And, and I like just to be positive because I kind of came from a bleak past, like uh, growing up in the, you know, you know, the same story everybody else has. I don't want to get into it, but, you know, divorced parents and all this and working in a factory, struggling through that. And it's like a depressing kind of thing. And, and now it feels like it's like totally switched for me. It's like I go to work and I'm around thousands of plants. I mean, we have a 3000 plant license and because uh, we we're both medically and rec rec recreational license there. So uh, we have 3000 plants. So it's just such a psyche boost to walk in every day instead of walking into a cave with artificial light and no windows to the outside, you're like basically outside. And, uh, you know, the plants are blown in the It's funny, I just made a post about this today on my Instagram. I just said, you know, in these depressing times, you know, I, I look around and I see the plants blowing in the breeze and I just want to stop and smell the flowers and how can you not smile? You know what I mean? How, it's just, it's a blessing. And, and uh, I'm just trying to enjoy every day, you know, cause I know it's not uh, something everybody enjoys. So I'm trying to be happy about it. Oh yeah, I know uh, I've been enjoying the spring rain today. Found a bunch of cinnabar chanterelles and golden chanterelles. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I've never seen those cinnamon ones like that before. Yeah, they're awesome. So yeah, loving loving the spring weather. So tell us more about the the Michigan's uh, grow scene. Um, you said it was a, a plant count based, but uh, tell us a little bit more about what's popular out there right now, strain wise, and uh, maybe some of the different um, um, uh, pests or some other or you know unique things you guys have going on up there in the in the Michigan grow scene. Yeah. So for right now, honestly, to if one hundred percent honest to you, right now in, in Michigan, as far as the commercially grown. And the, uh, you know, they're not called dispensaries. It's another weird thing. For some reason, you can't call them dispensaries up here. They're provisioning centers. But the provisioning centers, they're pretty much, they, they don't ask you what, they, they don't care what the strain name is. So I could tell you that, you know, this and this and that's popular, but they just want weed because they can't keep it on the shelves. That's pretty much what it's like right now because everybody's staying at home and there's nothing else to do. But, um, but what's really super popular in Michigan, and it has been for a long time, is we like our Gorilla Glue up here. I mean, Gorilla Glue or Gorilla Glue crosses, that's what everybody likes because it's like for pain, man. It just annihilates pain. And, and that's what people have up here from, you know, we're a bunch of factory workers up here, so, or a lot of us are, or farmers. You know, either way, we beat up our bodies. And uh, so Gorilla Glue seems to be super popular. Uh, wedding Cake seems to be pretty popular. A lot of the hype strains everywhere else seem to be pretty hyped here too. But honestly, um, I don't think there's a lot of people walking into a dispensary and walking out because they didn't have the strain they were looking for. I think they're just going in there and they're picking off a menu and they're just taking, you know, what they have, what they have to, to take. I just don't know how much. All I know is, is that the last time I talked to the boss, he was like on harvest day, you know, it's his job. He, the owner, he's got to call to see, you know, once, I got to back it all up. It's not as easy as that. We have to send it up for testing and wait. And it's, it's probably about a couple of weeks before we get the test results back. But uh, when that whole process is done, then you can actually sell it to the provisioning center. And it's less than a day. The whole harvest is gone. So in our heart, we harvest in each room. It's between 40 to 60 pounds, you know, depending on what strain we're growing in there. And it's gone. So it's not, we're not having to sit on it right now, but. Hopefully, eventually, it'll, it'll evolve to to where everything there's enough growers to to keep up with the supply. The special case kind of right now is is that the rec just became legal, so there's not a lot of rec licenses approved yet. So really, I mean, there's a lot of hope yet. You know, once this gets going, this is really the first year, and then this COVID thing, you know, slammed everything. So. Yeah, I'm sure by the end of the year, we'll be about where we were at the beginning of the year. And then hopefully things will pick up as far as people producing more and, and, and prices and everything's going to come down and, and it'll get better, hopefully. But uh, so I think the market's strong, but I also think the market for caregivers is strong. I think we're losing um, some caregivers because of the ridiculous uh, stipulation that if you work in some of some of the commercial like if you work in a commercial grow, you can't be a caregiver. But if you work in a dispensary, you can be a caregiver. So oh, explain that. Good. Explain that. We don't want professional growers to grow our to to grow weed for the uh, patients. They don't <laughs> want to bring in spider mites from home to the grow. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I can be. I can grow. I can grow rec weed at home. <laughs> oh man! Well, Dan, no, no, 
<laughs> Isn't that always the best though? And you get you got an employee who comes to work and they're like, Oh, I have spider mites at home, and you're just like Oh, we Did you, you go should in your be... room before you came to work. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, that brought up a question I, I that you know that I didn't think of until just then. So, like I knew what Colorado used to do with and, and I, I'm not sure about California. I think it was all over different where depending on county or region, but what is the testing like when you bring in cannabis to a facility? Do they put it through the microscopes and stuff like that? Or we have they... some, yeah, we have some of the most strict. Okay, and, that's uh, what I wanted to hear. Yeah, on the medical side, uh, the rec side's a oh. little less strict, but it's not that much less strict. A little, a little, like a quarter of a joint. You got. Well, <laughs> it's about all the same, except for the big difference. I would say is on the microbial counts. There's a huge difference in there. Um, on the medical side, it's still, I believe, well, it was at 10,000, um, what is the, uh, CFU? Is it CFU for microbes? For microns. Yeah, that's the problem is they uh, don't care about what microbes. Microbials? Yeah, uh, microbials. 10,000 colony forming units. CFU, CFU. okay, yeah, CFU. So, colony? it was set at 10,000 at the medical, at the rec side it was set at a hundred thousand they did move med up to forty thousand i believe but it's still pretty stringent because they don't it's just total so that it doesn't matter if it's yeast that's floating around in the air when they were you know or if the if the lab tech sneezed on it or something it does they don't see what microbes they detect <laughs> it's just total so it really leaves a lot of products that you don't want to use anymore you know, even for example, like a botanic guard, if you were have, say, for example, thrips, thrips, you're, you're asking about pests, thrips seem to uh, pop up here right now. I think it's about everywhere from what I'm hearing. And, you know, botanic guard, you know, Bavaria bassiana is pretty nice to be able to spray on the plants to, you know, go all alien on them and rip out, you know, but get them with the fungus. But now we're scared to even use something like that because is that going to come up as a CFU on a flower count? later in testing we don't know so we have to be super what we're doing right now like our main plan or our main battle attack is is all sprays and veg once we flip to flower actually we move them to flower because there's flower rooms once they go into flower the only thing that goes on flower room is a uh, predators and we use three different uh predator sachet sachets i think they call them that hang on the plants yeah and um it's funny because michigan matt lives in the same town that there's a insectary. So he actually picks them up at the insectary on the way to work. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah. So like we get them super fresh, really fresh, yeah, really fresh and alive. And we get, uh, it's sort of like every two weeks we're filling a room full of, you know, three different, uh, three different mixes. So um, we're trying to cover all the bases. And then we also like every twice, twice a week, we have to actually, we don't normally hand water, but twice a week we'll hand water in, We'll mix in 55 gallon drums or recharge and mammoth pea. And then we also do uh, nematodes. So that nematodes helps right. us in the soil where the other predators, you know, they're basically our soil predators. And then right. plant predators are already taken care of with the sachets that we're hanging. So with all those, that tends to solve most of our problems. And it's pretty cool. It does take a little while, obviously, to hang three sachets per plant. And, you know, we have three tables and each table's got around 40 plants. So what's that? 120 plants of room. So that'd take a while to do that, but we knock it out a couple hours and we're done, man. We're not in there spraying, you know what I mean? It's probably about the same time it would take to spray. That's cool. 
Yeah, that's because I, there was places in Colorado where they would run through a microscopic, you know, like a really you know, high dollar microscope. Or, oh yeah, I didn't even like, answer your question. If you Sorry, that's shit, high. If, you had, if you had bug shit or anything on the, on, they just turned the whole thing down. It's yeah, like so you go to Whole Foods, if you got one rotten or one starting to rot little pepper, they they discount your whole box and send it to the food bank, and you get you don't get paid. You know. So, yeah, they, I didn't even answer your question, but yeah, I can actually be specific because well, I've got it in, in front of you for me right here. So it, it's called the uh, full compliance testing package. And these prices aren't even accurate anymore because they've gone up. Uh, <laughs> of course. But uh, yeah, they were, they were starting at right around $400 for the whole package, but it includes cannabinoid profile, water activity and moisture test, pesticide analysis, heavy metal screen, microbial screen, mycotoxin screen. And then they're also, they also do include photos of uh, uh, scope where they scope it with their, obviously uh, it looks like a microscope because it's pretty damn close. So what's the percentage of the plant that, it sounds like they're doing a package where you, you test parts of your grow and if you pass that, the whole grow is okay. Yeah, right? so it goes, by the, it goes by your weight. So for every fit, their batch, each one is a batch. So they'll take a sample, I think it's nine, nine grams maybe. I can't remember. I'll have to, I'll, I could get the numbers if you. Um, oh, I just I was asking. A, general. I believe it's like nine grams per batch, and the batch is is fifteen pounds. So, if it's one pound, that's a batch. Up to fifteen, that's still one batch. And then right. if you had sixteen pounds, that's two batches. So and they take uh, nine grams out of that, and they test that, and if it passes, you pass. Yep. Yep. Okay. Each, each batch. Each batch can pass individually. So each fifteen pounds. Oh, it's okay. tested individually. So with all of those, so it's going to be getting through the pesticide. You'll get all those individually for each batch. And that's 400. Well, that's 400. Well, that's pretty interesting. Okay. That's why I asked because there's so that's the problem with this too, with it not being federally legal is the fact that the testing is all over the place. That's why I was so curious to see with you guys getting it and having one of the best States at this point, in my opinion, to grow in, but on all sides, uh, I think is uh, one of the. Uh, I wouldn't say I hate to say it's a liberal state or anything like that, for God's sake. But uh, I, I but, still uh, think the the best place to grow is Oklahoma. We we, we don't have a plant count. Yeah. We're we're literally throwing five acres up of THC this year. Like what? Yeah. Like, that's tell me cool. another state where I can just decide to do that and just do it, and it's legal because we have a license on the property. Like. Well, well then, yeah, Steve, what is the testing facility? What so? What do you have in comparison to what we just learned from Russ about Michigan? What is the? How do you? How do you have to go through testing to sell that in Oklahoma, or is it wide open because so it's we not have potency, potency and microbial and mycotoxins? Yeah, but what about the pests and the, like bugs on? Oh, it? Uh, batch testing is every ten pounds. Every ten pounds, so fifteen in Michigan, tens there. Yeah, every state's a little bit different. Some states are 20, yeah. some states are 10. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone's less than 10. Someone can correct me in chat if I'm wrong. Um, Spartan, there was a question from chat earlier on. Uh, I missed it and I, I was scrolling up to make sure I didn't miss anything and I saw it here. It says, I'd really like to ask Spartan Grown you know, different methods he's grown and then eventually maybe how and when he's liked likes to use potassium and flour. Thank you. Okay, I, I actually, at home I prefer to grow like if I could just do what I want and like, <laughs> grow with my heart. I like to just grow 
organically. That's that's my favorite, and I love sip containers, which you know sub irrigation, um, because it takes the guesswork out of um, watering, and it just the plant never runs out of water. And I love how the plant grows when it never runs out of water. I do let I mean I do let the 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 reservoir empty to empty, but the at that point when the reservoir goes to empty the entire 1.5 cubic feet is still saturated at hundred percent. So it gives me like days, but every time it empties, I just fill it right back up. So I, I just really love that aspect of it. I think there's an importance to that. And then, um, what was that? So I like organically growing with sip containers. Oh, potassium and flour. I like to actually use potassium. In fact, I don't even hardly care about phosphorus and flour. Um, that's me too. That, that's, that's unusual. <laughs> Yeah. So everybody says you gotta I think you need to foster set the changeover. You know, yeah, I don't it, you I, know, I, at the transition phase, but then uh, I go after, more potassium than and lot less phosphorus myself. Yeah, after I'm week sorry two, I interrupted you. After week two or three of flower, you don't need any more phosphorus. The plant's got all it needs. Yep. Yeah, that's I mean I've yep. seen report after report after report that even at a, a phosphorus deficiency, it didn't even negatively affect yield. So why do I care about phosphorus in flower? So, yeah, so I don't even, but I will, I like to give it a little boost in potassium um, towards the middle. So it's a, almost like my bloom booster or whatever. I do like potassium there. So um, oh, I love that. me three, probably week three, week four, uh, I'll do a little top dress with some potassium, but uh, I don't usually top dress past week four, unless it's a really long flowering plant. That I think it's going to run out somewhere. I just like to use a, like a bag mix that I, I one made right here in Michigan M3 mix. It's really good. I love it. And uh, so I'll use that. And then I just address the little deficiencies I see, or, you know, you tweak you, each cultivar, there's little tweaks for each one. And I just address that with top dress. Cause I'm, I don't trust myself with teas because I've learned enough. I used to use teas, but then I learned enough that I don't know shit about teas and I could be doing damage. So I don't have, I don't have the tool. I don't have the microscope to be able to check my teas. So I'm not going to just be shooting from the hip when it comes to that. So I just top dress. And that's how there's some books out there that'll, that'll explain how you can develop different NPK ratios using compost. Uh, Rodello's, uh, Rodello, right? Nope. Nope. But his a book of compost. It's like a, it's like a dictionary about compost, like with the like like awesome. 1100 pages. I, my, my partner, Ryan, who might be watching the show, I gave it to him because I'm legally blind and he reads books. I love it. I got a partner that actually reads books, Steve. He's not, he doesn't walk around with his face in the telephone all day. You know, I mean, I freaking love it. You know, he's, yeah, but uh, I gave it to him, but it, it actually, the book is all about everything you could put together to make a certain NPK ratio. So it's the information is out there, Russ. So look up That's that up though, the book, uh, the, the, uh, I'll, I'll find it for you and I'll find, I'll find out what it is. Exactly. Yeah. I'll check that out because that's really yeah. super interesting. I have a worm bin too. And I really enjoy, um, I feed them. What I do is I, uh, I have a, I have a, uh, a leaf blower that in the fall you can turn it around and it actually will suck it up like a vacuum and mulch the leaves. So yep. I'll take my leaves and I just put them in a 55 gallon drum in, in the garage and that keeps me with enough uh, carbon basically for the for the worms. So I feed them that. And then I take junk mail I get in the mail that's all paper. I don't give them like the plastic stuff, but the paper I'll th throw it through a shredder, paper shredder, and I throw that in there for carbon. And then um, 
I'll use the cannabis leaves for some greens and then just like kitchen scraps. So if I have like a banana peel or some melon rind or something, and then uh, I do all my inputs. I love doing like my top dresses or inputs. I love just throwing like a bio live from down to earth. I love throwing in like a scoop of that or maybe some oyster shell to get a little calcium in there. Or, and I like to have the worms process that. And then I'll use that to top dress. I, uh, I'm a big fan, especially if you need it, something instantly available in flour using langbanite, which is potassium magnesium sulfate. So you're getting a little bit of sulfur and you're getting the magnesium and the potassium. You generally need all of those things in flour. So um, I, I like to use that in combination with, with other nutrients in, in place of a, a monopotassium phosphate. I find it, it's much more appropriate for flour. And, and again, that can also be sourced in an organic OMRI, you know, naturally occurring OMRI sourced, uh, 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 you know, such as um, uh, back to nature or back to roots or whatever the back to earth or whatever. The Down hell to earth. Yeah. Down to earth, thank you. Down yeah. to earth. That's um, interesting because I'd use when I used the hydroponics. I used the MP, MPK, and now you say you use what'd you call it? What'd you call it? It's like backwards. It was inverted. Down to earth. No, no. The what Steve said L about langbanite, potassium, Langman. magnesium sulfate. Potassium. So that'd be PK. So like, it's PKS. Like, All right, right, right. Yeah, it's like a potassium Epsom salt. It'll be potassium. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. It would be. Well, that'd be, be KMGS, actually. KMGS, so it does have magnesium in it, too. Yeah. Right. So I wonder, like, it's I like using that. Wow, that's a super, Epsom, super thing. Epsom yeah. salt that has potassium in it. Yeah, okay. I was just going to say, I like using Epsom salt, too, in flour, and uh, I could eliminate that if I had some magnesium. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really like it a lot for that, especially for flour. Um, we had another question from chat. It says, can you use a 50 by 100 pond for aquaponics you absolutely can you're going to have to one aerate it and then two find a way to separate those solids uh or at the very least uh you know heavily stock it and aerate it and then uh pump it up into your beds uh, uh artificially uh, it can be tricky doing it i'm actually working on a series on doing something like like you're suggesting there on a bigger scale doing one acre to five acres and we'll be uh doing more series of videos on that as well but right now with all the rain uh, it is just an absolute mud fest out there right now, so we can't do much of anything. So um, that was uh, interesting. Do you see Ryan yeah. Ryan Wham? And it said, no, I got the wrong person. Somebody else, I can't find it now, but somebody Ryan said, Wham what about Himalayan salt? Himalayan salt. You'd have to really dilute that, wouldn't you? You couldn't do, I'd imagine there'd be a lot of traces. I don't know on the sodium content with that. Again, it would depend on the sodium. Langbanite's a naturally occurring form of salt, which is potassium, magnesium, sulfate, which is, again, can be sourced in Omri from, from multiple vendors, um, making a, a great option regardless of what type of certification you have. And is um, it um, just worry about, make sure you source at least a clean product, like find somebody like a good name brand so you don't have to worry about heavy metals, especially here in Michigan, that's something they test for, so. We, oh, yeah. any kind of mineral just be wary of a heavy metal it's creeping in there sometimes another thing to really look forward to that most people don't understand is if you've got some kind of legitimate farm you can go to agricultural suppliers instead of hydro stores or local garden stores and you will find two things you can find just about anything we ever talk about and the second thing is you can buy a 50 pound bag and it costs 
cents on the dollars and you'll never run out of it. You better put it <laughs> yeah, say, because the same amount as the one liter you get with the, that's 99% water at, at the grocery yeah. store. Well, you can buy a 50 pound bag of dolomitic lime for like $2, but that's common sense for anybody that does super soil or something, you know, but you can also buy a, you can buy a 10 pound bag of dolomitic lime online somewhere for $10. Another question from Chad on when, when can I put my plants outside? Uh, I put my plants out already and they started to flower. Um, uh, I, you know, the earliest I would suggest putting anything outside in most places in North America would be this week. Um, you know, there's a handful of people that do it a little bit earlier, especially if you're starting from seed. You can get away with a little bit longer, uh, a little bit earlier because you're going to have that that kind of beginning period anyway. It's going to get you through that. But um, generally for clones, especially depending on, you know, the light schedule you had the clones in, you know, you should be getting them down to 15, 16 hours. Uh, if you're going to put them out in North America, you know, maybe even 14 hours, uh, if you can keep them there, you know, before you put them out, you know, if they're at 24 or at 18 and you put them out there, they're going to go to flower. Like they're not used to that. Right. It's, it's a big difference. So. Which is why yeah. we recommend not using 24. We like 15 or 16 more, yeah, you know, especially because you get much better root production at a shorter photo period than you do at 24. That's a super good point. I was super, I was really surprised when I looked at the daylight uh, um, that we get in Michigan, you know, the sunset, sun, you, know, you subtract the hours and we never get 18, never do we get 18 hours of sunlight ever. doesn't matter what day it is. So people that are 24 hour cloning it and then trying to do stuff outside, man, you better have a light out there. You better have a supplemental <laughs> light, you know, for the last couple hours because those things are going to be flowering. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the only thing I can tell you is, you know, get a light on it. That's all you can do. If you ease into it, you'll have an easy transition. If you shock the shit out of them, that's what you're going to get. And that could be Hermes too. Yeah. I used to have to supply, I didn't have to, I used to supply clones to some uh, outdoor growers around here. And, um, you know, there'd be guys with full cars, 72 plants and, um, want to put whole flats of clones that have barely rooted yet outside under the sun to try to acclimate them to the sun i'm like no you guys what are you doing guys <laughs> i was like just just you know these are indoor small plants if you you try to you're trying to match the outdoors you're not trying to put them out there right away you're trying to like gradually get them to that point you don't want to just you know from shock them from 18 hours for example 18 hours on all day long get really used to that and then go into an area where you're getting 13, 14 hours. Of course, you're going to start flowering. You're thinking, oh, shit, the days are getting shorter. There's no more sun. So uh, just, think, just try to yeah. think more like a plant. People are trying to, too many people are just accept what people tell them to do. You know what I mean? Too many people say, oh, you should flush or, oh, you should. I'm, I mean, I'm not picking on flushing. I'm picking on everything that we do. Just research into what you're doing and then make your own decision. Just at least know why you do something. You know what I mean? I hate it when I'm doing something and somebody comes up to me and says, hey, why do you do that? And I don't have an answer for him. Then I feel dumb. You know what I mean? So always ask why. and You'll learn a lot of stuff. <laughs> well, I got one for you. Just say it comes naturally to me. Hey, there you go. <laughs> That's just how the way it just seems natural to me. Usually I, I give a cop out. I'll be like, well, the plant told me to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's true, too. It's like when you talk about how much phosphorus you need in flower, you know, the plant doesn't yeah. say I need phosphorus, so why add some? You know? 
been so distracted by chat. <laughs> yeah, I want to ask, hey, Ryan, how about post the name of that compost book I gave you? All right. Sorry. Because I wanted to tell you the name of it so you could get it. And so if he's watching and paying attention. Yeah. Uh, other other great compost books would be, you know, anything, any of Jeff Lowenfeld's books uh, are also great for learning about. Yeah, we've got all of those. Yeah, those are great. But what teaming with microbes, teaming with nutrients, teaming with fungi. Yep. That's three of the most popular and newest books he's got. We've everybody's got those. I got them. Russ probably has them. Ryan's got them. Oh, yeah. He's got yeah, them. We had another another question from chat asked if you are Spartan level high and do you use shampoo <laughs> on your beard? Um, I'm not quite to Spartan level high yet, but I've had two edibles and i did have one bowl well i'll catch up and get a few more i'll get there what was the other one shampoo in my beard no i've got i use conditioner in my beard why would i want to put shampoo in it i got to keep this thing soft man shampoo will dry it out it's showing his age that's what you think the shampoo dripping down there dry it up you know? uh, we got another question from chat can you recommend a good compost tea recipe <laughs> He said he sucks at compost already. No, I've done compost tea. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Here we go. I'll get into it. I'll Sorry, get into it. man. Okay. <laughs> so, first of all, I I have it's a pet peeve of mine when people start telling me, well, check out my compost tea recipe. All I want to see in a compost tea recipe, if that's what this is, is some sort of compost, water, and a tiny, tiny, minute amount a food source for the microbes. I don't want to see a bunch of, you know, all these added bullshit that they want, you know, they start adding in alfalfa and adding in kelp and adding in, it's like, are we doing a nutrient tea or are we trying to, are we trying to brew microbes? What are we trying to do here? Good point. You Good know what I mean? Point. So, so when I did it, I would use only a compost. Sometimes I'd like to mix my compost. So I'd use like half worm, worm compost that I had made myself at home. And then the other half was like um, uh, outside uh, compost that you have outside. What do you call it? Thermophilic compost pile, compost. So one was warm compost and one was a heated thermophilic compost. Mixed it half and half and put it in a bag and threw it in the water with air stones. And I would put, I bought, uh, you brought up raw NPK nutrients. They make a molasses that's powdered. I, I like theirs because I could get just a tiny little pinch and throw it in there, like the tiniest amount. You don't need a lot of molasses because this is why I say, it, because you're going to get a huge population of microbes. And if you get a giant population of microbes, it's going to be those. I equate it to the, to um, carbs. Like when you eat sugar, you get that fast, fast acting bloom. And um, if you add that into your soil bed, you're going to get a huge bloom of microbes that are eventually going to fucking die. And then now you're going to have uh, either they're going to release a bunch of nutrient right there and burn the shit out of your plants possibly, or, if they're trying to consume so much food, like there's way more food than what they need. Like people like to put extra molasses in. Um, if you're watering molasses into your soil, just don't do it. But um, if there's a ton of molasses there, they have to process, then uh, they might be actually drawing, you know, requiring nutrient from the soil for that to process that all that extra food that you just added down there. So I, I just don't like it. I just, I, I know it's not popular in, in the scene, but I just hate, 
when people well, no. Have- so, so there's there's some truth to that. So, it, um, I absolutely like using brown sugar if I'm going to do a compost tea and doing again smaller doses. The only time I would be against that would be uh, as a finisher. The last maybe three waterings I do, I'll add you know a few pounds of sugar you know to a room, maybe three pounds to a, a 1500 2000 square foot room. Uh, just enough to basically feed those microbes to get rid of any minerals that are left in there, basically to kind of increase their population to power through anything that's left, basically as a microbial form of flushing, at least in theory. Um, uh, but not so much, you know, cutting, you know, flushing it in the sake that people normally do with trying to like dump water through the soil and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But maybe, you know, so that, that's worked really well for me. But uh, when we do mineralization uh, processes, we're doing three day or, or seven day or 14 day mineralization for, for uh, fish waste. Uh, well, that's the one time they'll actually use molasses. But again, we're doing a three, five or 14 day thing that that sugar has a long time and it's being actively aerated and stirred. And, you know, I want it to actually kind of stay in there longer and I'm using it for that purpose of that longer brew time um, um, and that longer breakdown. Whereas if I'm doing a quick compost tea or maybe I want my labs ferment to go faster, maybe I'm a commercial grower and suddenly I spotted PM somewhere and my labs culture is really small. I need to suddenly ramp up production. I can add a little sugar uh, just to speed up, uh, you know, how quickly I can bulk out that labs culture. But you don't want to add too much of that or you're going to totally, you know, screw the whole thing up. So, uh, you know, there is a place for it, but absolutely it, it's, it's often heavily overused and, and people overuse molasses when really they should be using brown sugar uh, or, or some kind of other sugar in the raw rather than uh, something that's going to take a lot longer to, to be available. That was awesome. Uh, the, there's another uh, thing from chat here. It says uh, the complete book of composting was the name of the book. Oh, you muted, Roger. One second, trying to pop back up here. What is your, what are the main symptoms of potassium deficiency, and should you use a calcium product with langonite to balance the CalMag ratio? Um, I'll let you go first, and then I'll uh, go with them. I could you say that again? He said. Oh, sure. What, what are the main deficiencies? What are the main symptoms of a potassium deficiency and should you use calcium uh, calcium product with langbanite to balance the CalMag ratio? Um, at least as far as the CalMag ratio part, it would depend on what your calcium already was. You know, are, are you in ratio already or aren't you? You know, you're going to have to test that. Yeah, as I said, there's no way to tell the rate what the ratio was there. And then before I, before I name things for sure, as for example, potassium deficiency, or no, it was, was it potassium? Was it, I think it was potassium. He said, <coughs> I like to <coughs> look up and I just learned this from dude Rose's that molders chart. So I can make sure it's not something I've added because a lot of times you have what they call an antagonist. So if you add too much of something, it'll lock something out no matter how much you put in. So it could look like it's a potassium deficiency and you could be dumping all the potassium you want on it. And it's not helping why that is, is, a consult molders chart. I don't know off the top of my head what the what a, a antagonist for potassium is, but yeah, um, I don't I don't have a memorized. I always go back and reference the chart as well. <laughs> but whatever it is, it could 
it could be that you're something that you've added has caused the deficiency. So that's, that's usually what I find to be the issue is because everybody likes to, you know, add things because they think, well, a little bit's good then a lot's better. Yeah. So, so, so my, one of my favorite examples for Mulder's chart, and, and it, this applies to hydroponics and aquaponics is say I have a UV sterilizer. Okay. And I have an, an aquatic environment, a hydroponics or aquaponics, um, this, this won't count for soil, but this similar type of scenario can absolutely happen in soil. So if I have a UV sterilizer on my aquaponic nutrients or hydroponic nutrients, uh, that will, will lock up uh, the iron, the manganese, and the, um, uh, I can't remember what the other one is, zinc. Uh, okay. Now, when I lock out iron, manganese, and zinc, and in particular zinc and manganese, uh, what happens is, is that that uh, actually locks out uh, phosphorus, causing the plant actually to turn purple, uh, especially in tomatoes. I've seen this in aquaponic systems uh, quite regularly when people treat them like uh, an aquarium or they try to overly sterilize the system. Uh, the plants will actually turn purple or you end up with, you know, pretty obvious phosphorus deficiencies regardless of the crop. And it's actually not a phosphorus deficiency at all. The, the phosphorus is completely unavailable because the, the manganese and the zinc have been completely uh, been made unavailable to the plant along with the, the very low levels of iron. And, it, and it's, you know, because those are low, the plant can't uptake any uh, uh, potassium, I'm sorry, phosphorus. Uh, so it'll show that phosphorus deficiency. So uh, it's really quite strange how, uh, uh, you know, how that, but again, if I just look at the plant, I'm going to say, oh, it's a phosphorus deficiency and I'm going to throw, you know, monopotassium phosphate or I'm going to throw, you know, some other phosphorus booster in there and it's not going to do anything. And then I'm going to get frustrated and then I'm going to add more and then I'm going to end up building up a phosphorus buffer that's going to artificially buffer my pH and then I'll have you know, uh, pH problems. And then now, now I'm going to have, I, you know, now I'm going to cause a whole new set of, of, of lockout issues. And now, now you have no idea what's going on because you don't, you, you don't have, you know, most home growers and, and, and to be frankly with you, most commercial growers don't have access to tissue sampling uh, to, to, to do that or, you know, better, you know, so if you can't test your water, test your runoff, test your soil, uh, you know, you're, you're flying dark, right? So, uh, you have no idea what's in front of you. So uh, this is where something like Mulder's chart where I can look and say, okay, well, this is my, <coughs> this has been my nutrient dose in <coughs> the last two months. <coughs> or here's, <coughs> excuse me, here's the, the minerals in my water, you know, in an aquaponics or hydroponics system. And I can say, oh, well, these are way out of ratio. Oh, well, this nutrient's been locked out. Um, so, uh, you know, th th this is kind of, think of it like a magic decoder ring for, uh, for, for uh, mineral deficiencies, especially in, in when you're dealing with liquid nutrient solutions, it can really make a lot. But the important thing to think about this is, and everyone kind of can grasp this concept with minerals, right? Like um, uh, how I love to describe it, and let me grab one so we can kind of go over it visually. It really is like a secret decoder because it will make your life so yeah. easy. Or not, it'll make it way easier because it really makes you look in the right direction without run around with a chicken with your head cut off okay so imagine this disc is Mulder's chart right you have calcium uh, molybdenum nitrogen magnesium iron blah, blah 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 okay all the way around we want this to be a top 
okay so as far as the camera is concerned this is level <laughs> um uh, so we want this to be even right now if i have too much of too many two nutrients you know it's going to cause this to be imbalanced now we're tipping you know it's tilting and, and now we're getting out of balance and as soon as that gets out of balance that's when we're going to start to see colored leaves we're going to see deficiencies in growth and that's why it's important where if you raise one nutrient like someone else commented with a question about raising with langbanite do we need to raise calcium well if your calcium was already very high no you wouldn't but if your calcium wasn't you absolutely would have to add a, a calcium carbonate or a calcium sulfate uh, uh, to, to balance that out or maybe even a dolomite uh, although that's not as available as calcium sulfate which is gypsum or a calcium carbonate which is uh, aragonite um, so, uh, uh, you know, depending on what you're doing. So think of it that way, but also think of your microbes that way. Okay. Think of it like trichoderma and mycorrhizae and, 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 and back and, and rhizobacter and, and acetobacter and, and all those, you want them that same way to be a, a flat top. And if they, you have too much of a population, too much trichoderma, too much lactobacillus, too much, whatever, you're going to cause a, a root fungus problem. You're going to cause a uh, you know, some other negative growth problem or nutrient issue or, or, or even kill the plant outright uh, or create an environment that allows other pests to move in readily. Uh, so, you know, think both your minerals and your microbes, think of them in that same kind of ratio way, uh, way and, and, and kind of almost like a top that you're trying to keep spinning at all times and keeping it level. That's super important you bring that up too, because that's why I have to say again and again to people is like, they always ask me the question, hey, can I put recharge in a, in a tea and brew it and get a ton of recharge? Or can I brew, you know, whatever? And I'm like, man, you're gonna be brewing who knows what. It's already in the, con it's already in the right order, the right concentrations that they want it. You start brewing that, then who's, who's ever faster, big, bigger, better, faster is gonna take over and you're gonna be all that you're no longer recharged. You're just whatever, trichoderma probably, or <laughs> who knows. But, I wanted uh, to touch something back on when, you know, you were talking about compost tea. It's not, it's not this tea or that, but see, and, and, and this is something though, if you compost alfalfa into your compost, that's how you add it. You don't add it that, that you didn't really, you know, so, I was on the show in there, but y'all were so on and that's it. You know. So there's two mechanisms with the alfalfa. One, there's a lot of plant growth accelerating microbes that, well, not necessarily accelerating, but plant beneficial microbes that affect plant growth probably is the better way to put it, that will readily feed as well as phosphorus um, solubilizing bacteria that love to feed on alfalfa meals. So that can increase the populations of those. Um, there's also certain hormones in alfalfa itself that can actually uh, act as a PGR. Uh, and there's some questions as to whether some some products out there have been using those, but uh, um, yeah, anyways, that's a whole well, separate. separate that's thing. awesome. And, and, and that's, I'm, I'm glad you said that, because, but I wanted to say that's not exact. I didn't mean it like that, like it should be alfalfa. I was saying in regards to him, uh, Russ was talking about, if you're making compost tea, make compost tea, you don't start adding alfalfa and this. Well, see, I would, that, I would. That. So see, I whatever disagree. you might add, you would do that in your compost, not when you were making your tea. Well, see, I would disagree. See, I, I love to use okay. those kinds of stuff in teas, and I actually have a whole rabbit hole that I'll be going. I don't want necessarily want to get down the rabbit hole this episode. We'll we'll probably do an a separate episode strictly on this because of the depth of the topic. But uh, I'm covering this really in depth in the book that I'm working on. On um, what? So, okay, so everyone's familiar with like KNF 
everyone's familiar with like FPJ and labs and all that. Everyone knows that certain plants are really good for compost and bioavailability of certain minerals and nutrients. Uh, I've, I've managed to dig up a couple of really good, multiple different really good tables on the mineral content of a, quite a wide range of different North American and then some non-North American plants that are quite common uh, throughout most of the world. And um, look at actually the content of it. And then now we're, we've been tinkering with some ferments and, and FPJs, but just even just based on the, the content and working with the ferment work, trying to give people an option where they can straight look at something and go, oh, well, I need a bottle, I need to do M, uh, you know, NPK or MO or MG or MN or whatever. Um, and, and then look at what they could grab off of a property or off of a list of plants and then go ferment that or go or, or go make a tea out of it or go do this and, and actually unlock that, um, you know, heavy mineral amount that those plants happen to, to content and, and, and actually, you know, use those uh, not just as teas, but also as minerals. So kind of hybridizing the, the old concepts, but I, I definitely wouldn't add mineral salts to teas uh, except right at the end, right? So if you're gonna do a microbial, brew them separately and combine them right at the, at the time of application. I am a huge fan of applying microbes with minerals in order to accelerate uptake. I find that it's a night and day difference in how quickly you'll get a plant response rate. And it's something that I've been a, a huge fan of for a long time. I kind of that's that's important, though, that you combine them at the end. I think that's important. You, you combine them at the end. It's not brew them all together for the whole duration of the brew. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, that's a nice point. Separately and, and com combining at the time of application or, or mixing right at the end and then applying. Yep. Uh, so what are, what are some of the other different uh, uh, things you'd like to tell us about the uh, commercial scene up there in uh, Michigan? <laughs> Honestly, I, I live in a bubble, man. I just I just go in there and uh, I just try to do the best I can do and and ignore what everybody else is doing because uh, I don't know. We just we're just such a good crew in there, man. I just it's like going and hanging out with your friends, man. That's that's really really what it's like, and I think that's what it takes to be a successful team. You can't you can't go in there with giant egos, you know. You can't you you have to go in there like it's the team that's important, not yourself, and when everyone has that attitude and even like, like I said, we're a five person, I don't know if I did say this, but it's a five person crew. And that includes, I mean, including the owner and the COO who, who are in there working with us when they can like right next to us doing the same things that we're doing. It's not like, you know, the owner is, you know, in a business suit with a clipboard, you know, <laughs> in a, you know, you see him in a window above you or something. So it's totally different. So for me, I think, my experience is, is going to be something that's unique to the, the scene. I don't think it's the norm because, um, you know, before all this shutdown went down, we would leave for lunch altogether and we'd go to a restaurant or whatever. And we drive past other facilities with two to three times the amount of cars in the parking lot <laughs> for the same, you know, facility. And it's just like, you shake your head and you're like, well, you know, what's going on over there? What's <laughs> but, uh, so for me, it's, it's, it's a joy, but there, that being said, it's still work. It's still physical labor. You know, we have, we grow in cocoa. So we use Royal Gold, um, Tuper is what we're using. We started out using can of cocoa, but we ended up our very first harvest. We, after a long going through just about everything, but uh, our first harvest, we failed for uh, heavy metal. And I believe it was cadmium, if I remember correct. And uh, long story short, we tracked it back to the can of cocoa and um, 
we didn't get much help from those folks there. So we switched brands. <laughs> so now we're using Tuper and uh, we've had successful harvest after successful harvest with them. So we don't see any reason to change. And, um, but we do have to carry those bags on your shoulder <laughs> up two flights of stairs <laughs> and then, you know, fill up 140 pots. So, you know, there, there's physical labor, so I don't want to make it sound like it's just, you know, all fun and games, but, uh, it's cool to work with a crew of people that everybody knows their job. And, uh, basically we have a whiteboard when you walk in and it says, this is what we need to get done today. And then everybody just tackles it, you know, and we just knock it out. And, um, honestly it's a joy because because it seems like you're part of a team legitimately and everybody's got the same goal in mind instead of you're worrying about this guy stabbing you in the back or what this guy's saying over to the here or you know none of that so i came from a fact working a factory background so it's like night and day different you know union job too so i mean politics involved too so i'm just so so much more stress and uh i couldn't be happier i couldn't be happier um but I mean, unless you have specific questions, I, I could just wax on and on about uh, working there. Tell us more about the IPM in Michigan. Uh, what are you guys doing for for your IPM up there? Okay, so our IPM starts right at the front door. So um, if there's a guest or somebody that's coming in, we have the little booties you put on over your shoes. In fact, we have actually extra sandals and shoes there. So you just take off your outside shoes and put on these ones. And then we have booties if, if, it, if there's somebody who doesn't want to wear those sandals or shoes. Then we also have those, I don't, I think it's called Tyvex, whatever, the those white suits that you can, that covers you all the way up and it has a hood. Yeah, Tyvek, you use it to wrap a house in too. Yeah. Yep, yep. We have those for uh, like, if we have somebody coming in to work on the building or something like that, they, we, we put them in, no, we seal them up as best we can gloves all that good stuff um, as far as employees we have we walk into a changing room and we get uh, we have a uniform service it's just uh, like hospital scrubs there's a black hospital scrubs so uh, when we come in we don't wear our street you know we change out of our street clothes we change out of our street shoes we have our own shoes that we brought in new and they've never left the building and um, so we put those on we put uh, on our new clothes we have you know hats that stay there and um, our glasses. And then when we leave there, before you even get to the very first flower room, you walk over a sticky pad that will clean the bottom of your shoes. And then you walk into a bleach pit, basically. <laughs> it's a little deep, you know, just to make sure you're disinfected too. And, and you know, we just don't want bugs. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you're through. Um, now, as far as IPMs in the veg, in the veg cycle, we run through, you know, we have a, like a rotating schedule of things that we'll spray in there. Um, mostly like we actually just got some, uh, optic foliar in to, to try out. So, um, that's one thing that we have about some attack we have in there. Um, we haven't used that yet, but, uh, We'll go through things like it depends on if we have a pest issue or don't. If we if it's just an IPM protocol, then it's just like, you know, it might be self-oil X or it just gets sprayed once a week. But um, now, obviously, if we have a pest, then we'd be treating for them. That's in the veg. Once we go to flower, flower doesn't get any spray, but we I, I just went over this earlier, though. But uh, we just use the predator mites. And then we also twice or every every two weeks, 
we put in, um, we were hand water in recharge with nematodes and that's basically our predators for the soil. And then um, S, uh, nematode S, SF, whatever that is, stradio, uh, whatever. <laughs> and then- uh, I wanna say stradio elaps, but I don't think it is. Well, it's, it's the SF, that's what I call it. <laughs> so, and then the, the sachets, um, they're mixed. So it's, it's a mix of two or three different predator mites and we use three different ones. So I know we have Cucumaris, I know there's Californicus, I know there's Swarovski. Um, I'm sure there's probably a couple others, but um, there's at least those three big hitters. And we usually don't have issues in flower. I mean, they're getting hit from every direction. And then we have uh, a company that actually right out of uh, Jackson, which is nearby, called AgroAir. They actually are a fan company that wants to get into making fans for grow rooms too. So <clears throat> they don't have a grow room. So they're working with us and they've outfitted one of our six flower rooms with their fans, which are amazingly nice. And um, they're in there with these wind instruments and everything and tracking airflow. So uh, it's really cool to uh, see that kind of level of science going, going down in there and, and them figuring out like what, what's the best airflow for, for a grow room. You know what I mean? That's something that you don't hear about. So um, that's really cool. They've actually developed one now. We don't have them yet, but they're going to be bringing them in that they have, it's like a regular wall fan that sits off the side, side of the wall, like you would see a normal wall fan, except for theirs were all metal. And then it's uh, mounted to a rail so that it's adjustable up and down. So as your canopy increases, if your canopy gets up into the airflow, you can actually, gives you room to come up with the airflow. So you can always have the airflow right where you want it. I thought that was pretty sweet. Um, but as far as uh, that, I think that's about, it covers the IPM. I mean, unless we would get, if we, if we were to get an actual pest, then obviously we would have, you know, we have a actually MSDS sheets and everything mm -hmm. and a cabinet and we have all our um, pest treatment in that cabinet. And so um, we would just find what pests we're looking for, or, you know, if it's, you know, thrips, botanicard might be something that we would use especially if it was in veg and we knew it had enough time to where we'd be stripping those off and it wouldn't be an issue for a microbial, but if it's in flower, that's not an option. So it's so many situations. I can't just say, you know, what we we use unless I knew the situation. I thought it's wild. That I felt like you were sitting in my back pocket the last few years when you go, well, we make them, we come and change and we turn into like scrubs, you know, cause I was doing it. I, I, the only thing you left out in that spot, I was going to make them take a shower. Like, you know, take a shower, then change into the scrub. But you, as soon as you said, well, we have a change room, I went, yes, because uh, that's yes. But I didn't I didn't get I love what I picked up from you, the sticky trap thing and the, the bleach, the, the, the boot, yeah. you know, but I was not going to put them into, you know, clogs or something. So I, you know, I don't know about stepping in bleach with those. But well, that's you, why we that's why we use the uh, uh, what are those things called the uh, the gate or. What are those little, they're like a clog, I can't remember. They're all rubber. That's why we specifically have those there. Right, because that's the awesome. Bleach, the bleach won't eat those oh. up. So that's crack. Awesome. crack is what I was trying to think of. <laughs> so we had another question. Uh, what are some of the alternatives to using mineral amendments like rock dust that might contain heavy metals? Um, you know, as far as a micronutrient, you can always dose the micronutrients directly, you know, and, and usually a sulfate or sodium form. 
it depends on what you're talking about. It's kind of a not an easy answer for that one. Or you could do a KNF for men. I mean, if you had a plant that was high in, but it would be tough because a lot of those plants they might be high in one thing, but still have a bunch of micros. Yeah, purslane and moringa might be good options, but they also might have metals in them too. So depending on your your soil, so you know. The best bet, you know, there's people out there that are really on their game when it comes to suppliers like uh, Build a Soil. Jeremy out there at Build a Soil, he's got uh, I think a basalt that they come that comes right out of Colorado, I believe that's going to be free of heavy metals he like not only he doesn't just go by their test when he gets a product in he sends it off for independent testing so um, i mean that's available even online but if that's like cost prohibitive there's got to be places like even local quarries around your area that have some kind of a, a, a crushed rock that um, and then if you have an egg extension somewhere near you like for example where i live in uh, jackson they have an extension from Michigan State University where I can go down there and I could have something tested and they test it for me. So just get a small sample of it and get it, just get it tested. And a lot of places, if it's sold like in a store, they're going to have that information probably on their website. Uh, hopefully a test. If it didn't, I wouldn't buy it. That's a good point. And the fact is, is that's, we go back to testing all the time and see, you say, well, it costs, it's not really expensive, but it does add up when you're doing all the testing we're talking about. But if you spend that little extra dollars, think about the hundreds or thousands of dollars you would lose because you wouldn't do a $7 or a $20 test five times instead of just once a year. You know, so that's, that's I love that the keep, we keep riding on that testing. If you wanna know what's wrong, get it tested. And then one other trick, you can shout out, uh, shout out to Dude Grows, man. I love that show. Um, but shout out Scotty. He did an interview with Michigan Matt, and they were talking about uh, not only um, the microbes in, they had a couple bacillus, I believe they brought up, that uh, helped sequester some heavy metals, but the fulvic and humic acids in recharge, or if you just use fulvic or humic acids it, by themselves, those will help tie off, they were, they they quoted the actual um, source of the study, but in that show, but um, we'll actually tie up all heavy metals, help tie it up. So obviously if you have more heavy metal than you have the fulvic acid, you're still in trouble. But if it's something that you were worried about, I would maybe start watering in fulvic and, or at least humic acids. Awesome. Yeah. We had a, another question from, from chat. Someone asked about roots, organic soil. Um, roots organic soil great for for regular soil not good for aquaponics because it does contain yucca which will kill your fish if you aren't aware of that yeah i was gonna say steve always tells us do not use yucca in your aquaponics system yeah. no 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 kill the fish yeah and that is commonly available at a lot of grow stores so now if you want something um memory serves me right uh uh Happy Frog and Forest Floor do not contain it. If you want something at least off the shelf. Trying to see any other questions from chat that we might have missed here. Well, we were answering the other ones. We had a lot of um, questions from chat tonight. Must be all the Michigan grow boys uh, up there. What yeah, are some, of the, uh, what are some of the rabbit holes that uh, you've been uh, jumping down lately as far as topics? <laughs> oh, man, I love Risey rhizophagy i can't even say all these words now but just it just jeff lowenfels talks about how these 
bacteria enter through the root tip and, and travel through the, the plant and the plants, you know, defense mechanism is basically to blast, you know, to oxidize it. So it blasts off its, its cell wall. So now you have this microbe traveling through the plant, its cell wall is blasted off all its uh, nutrition that it had collected and basically ate and is now released and available to the plant. The plant takes that the microbe travels back through the plant to um, like the edge or, you know, the, the close to the, uh, I guess you'd say the, the skin of the plant or whatever, the outside edge of the plant. And it stimulates the plant to, to um, grow a root hair or grow a root. So a, a new root will grow and then it'll have an escape route for this microbe. So the microbe will travel to the end of that root, come out into the soil, put its cell wall back on, and then go out and get more um, mineral or whatever it is that it's eating. And the process continues over and over and over again. And he talks about things like lichen and, and these plants that are like on mostly on like rock. And they're like, how can these things grow? And he thinks it's mostly that these microbes are making this kind of reaction and it's giving all its nutrition or, or a vast majority of it from this rhizophagy uh, relationship. I don't know what else to call it. It just blows my mind. It's just so amazing to me. Oh yeah, and then I've been uh, uh, also on on the similar note on uh, endophytes, man. You know, you you think the mycorrhizae are trippy, man. Read up on some of the endophytes and some of the roles that they do, and how suddenly you, you realize that Fusarium and Botrytis are actually endophytes that are there most of the time and not actually strictly parasitic and oh it just totally unlocks this whole other level of, of complexity to how you think about your microbes it's it's so cool yeah it, it blows my mind how how you get or like you said you could take something that's normally would destroy your plant and, and eat your plant up and just turn that off and now it's either benign and doesn't hurt it at all or it could even be beneficial now can you imagine a beneficial botrytis or something come on <laughs> that would be so cool and, and it's uh, interesting I, that it's, I, it's there it, you know that it's there to be it could be woken up or it could be locked out that's very interesting well on the topic of beneficial botrytis uh, mike west had talked about how um you know he was working with a group and they had done a ton of testing and they noticed that the, the strains that actually were um, infected with powdery mildew and some of the other strains were actually much higher in a compound called CBT. So if you're after CBT production, you might actually in intentionally infect your stuff and then do separate it in post-processing. So um, it, it's really trippy, uh, the different rabbit holes that you can go depending on what you're doing. But don't do it to your whole grow. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm really intrigued. Um, I'm experimenting in my home grow off to this, actually it's inside my mother tent. So I'm trying to do like a living soil situation, but my twist on the whole deal is I'm doing sub irrigated, but I'm also doing a cocoa base rather than a peat base. So I want to say, you know, everybody says cocoa is hydroponic and a co it's not organic. Screw you. It's an organic input. I'm going to do a living soil. So I did, I did use cocoa loco, but uh, so that's got worm castings mixed in, but uh, I've got two of those going next to each other. And I've, I've even had a, uh, a top dressing of, uh, or a cover crop of clover in it. So it's like a living mulch. And then I take all my stems after, a, after a harvest, I'll even take the sticks and chop them up and use them as almost like a straw mat to knock down the clover. And uh, so they'll, 
you know, so they'll uh, break down. I've got a bunch of worms in both, both of them. Uh, I've used them. For, I think I'm like five cycles in and I'm only growing auto flowers in there. Cause it's in my mother tent. I, the, the light cycles, I can't grow flower in there on an 18 hour schedule. So I throw auto flowers in there and I pull, I pull little, you know, auto flowers every couple of months out of my mother tent and uh, in the living soil. So there's really no input other than I might throw some, you know, top dresses down here and there. It's just a fun little project and I'm, I'm loving it. Well, I feel like a dumbass now, 15, 16, 17 years of teaching people. And I never thought about putting an auto flower in a flower tent. I never, I mean, that's pretty freaking cool. People are flipping out right now. It's like, nobody never i haven't even seen anybody talk about that before that's that's a pretty cool idea got a little extra room hey throw an auto flower in the corner you know oh <laughs> uh, yeah same thing in the bedroom if you get a little corner of the bedroom you got empty space and lights hitting it take advantage of that like put a plant underneath that so uh another question chad do you, do you guys think of living soil i grow in all mediums right now working super soil and cocoa mix building a home aquaponics system to learn the basics uh, my favorite is doing living soil in a dual root zone. So doing living soil above living aquatic soil or living water. You know what I mean? Uh, so that, that's that's my favorite. Um, and then if I'm not doing aquaponics, uh, living soil is the way to go, at least in my opinion. I think that's the way everybody's loving, you know, getting, a, you're getting your good bugs and everything going on, your worms and everything. I mean, uh, regardless, like, you know, you know Steve's favorite and it, it might be my favorite you know, we're going to do a bunch of trials this year, but the dual root zone is definitely extremely sound. And the, the fact that you can use the soil layer to implement or, you know, and, and uh, uh, modify things without getting it in and, and hurting the fish, you know, just gives aquaponics such a broader spectrum of ability. And, but I, you know, it's all natural. Basically the top zone is natural farming. I think that's the way Steve handles it. It's like natural farming. So, you know, anytime you can, you know go into that so you make your knf or your natural farming inputs and you know sorry got sideways there for a minute so steven in those have you ever done a living soil bed above your aquaponics or, or do you have to replace that soil every time so like so, so i've done both um no-till where we've just cut the base off stuck you know dug a hole next to the old base of the <laughs> and let the roots in there and what we've had is a lot of the aquatic microbes will start to eat away the old root mass and end up causing some problems with the new root mass um, uh, just through just, you know, normal decay. Um, so what we'll do actually do with the aquaponics systems here is when we cut the plants down, I'll leave enough of a handle on, on top of the pot uh, that I can still hold on to it. So we'll pull the pots out. We'll set them outside. We'll let them dry out for three to five days until they're they're totally dry. And then what'll happen is I can the soil layer will become kind of like a you know baked together almost. And then I can pull that off, and most of the the burlap and and you know eighty five percent of the roots will come out. And then we can shake off the the hydrogen or the lava rock depending on what we're, what we're planting in the bottom half. Uh, and then we can compost that for, you know, one to two growth cycles and then make sure we add nematodes and some hypoaspis miles or some rope in some, you know, rope beetles uh, to make sure it's all there Add a, you know, some IMO and some labs and, uh, and away we go. So 
um, you know, that's kind of what we're doing here. And, uh, what, uh, you know, it's kind of standard procedure at most of the farms that I have, because once you get your main mass of soil, you're not really having to buy a whole lot of extra as long as you have enough to cycle three or four cycles through. Right. Right. And then, you know, you can compost all your leaf material and everything else. And that's kind of amending that as well. And putting those same nutrients that the cannabis, you know, needs that's found in that tissue back into that, that material. So, um, you know, you again, you have to throw know what, what you've got by recycling because yeah. you keep adding more inputs to it and it keeps breaking down into more and more yeah. soil. And, like Steve said, and you, you don't have to keep buying it. And someone else said, uh, oh yeah, check out the using Kiefer Labs. Uh, I do have videos on my channel on Kiefer Labs. Um, I'm a big fan of that. The extra vitamin B from the kefir is much better than traditional labs, in my opinion, for plant growth. Um, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, so just doing a slightly watered down kefir when you when you uh, make your kefir is uh, very good for um, you know plant growth acceleration. Uh, uh, kefir, in particular, again, has more vitamin B complexes than your traditional labs, which uh, makes a huge impact on plant growth rate. Then you make some kombucha. Everybody oh, keeps yeah. bringing that up. <laughs> kombucha. Yeah, yeah, every so, time we talk about that, kombucha comes up. Shouldn't. So, so the only thing that scoobies are very good for feeding your fish. Fish love to eat scoobies, but uh, there's a lot of sodium in kombucha, so it's not too plant friendly. So, while it's cool to give your scoobies to your fish as like a treat now and then. Uh, you know, don't make it a weekly thing and uh, otherwise your sodium levels. Now, if you have tomatoes or celery, it'll taste great. I mean, if you're doing vegetables, it can be a great way to su mildly supplement sodium in your system and get better flavor. But, uh, <laughs> and for a lot of people that don't know, labs, uh, which is in uh, kombucha, also in uh, um, uh, kimchi, as well as cheese, uh, yogurt, uh, labs, kefir, uh, all is uh, will eat E. coli, salmonella, listeria, a lot of your your things that will make you sick and, and also make your plants sick. Pow powdery mildew uh, can be a great way to prevent powdery mildew, not only on cannabis, but on squash and cucumbers, pumpkins, anything else that would traditionally you can be very susceptible to it in your home garden. Yeah, it eats bad bacteria. It promotes good bacteria. It doesn't kill good bacteria. It kills bad bacteria. So, so what type of microbial stuff are you guys doing up there, uh, you know, as far as probiotics or, or uh, KNF or anything like that, if, if anything? No, nothing. The only, we're not even, uh, as far as at, at work, it's all cocoa and uh, can of nutrients. And um, we are using some new mill stuff. We're using, uh, as far as microbials, we're using Recharge and Mammoth Pea and, and flour every two weeks or so. Um, and I don't, oh, I guess it is a microbial, I guess you could con consider botanic garden microbial, <laughs> but not, it's just a beneficial, but not in any nutritional way. <laughs> but yeah, you don't use lab at all? Not what about, at, what about, see at what work, about, see at, at home, at home, I was yeah, EM1. Yeah. I like EM1. Uh, I really like to honestly do. I like to process most of my stuff through my worm bin and just use that to uh, give my plants a boost. Um, like, for example, on transition, I love from going when I'm going on the day, day one of flower, they're getting a scoop of uh, 
fresh worm castings and that's with the worms. I mean, I just pull it out of the bin with the worms and it gets all the biology that comes with it. I get a lot of biology too, because um, when I suck up those leaves outside, you know, I'm sure there's eggs and everything else all over that, but, uh, and that's, you know, a big portion of their diet. So I'm sure that the insects, I mean, I get so many like uh, mold mites and I get, uh, you know, a lot of the uh, hype, Hypostasius miles, and I'm not good on Latin, but uh, <laughs> I think actually, Hypoaspis miles has been changed to Stradiolalap schematis. So. Oh, great! Something even harder to say. Wonderful. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, that's another good one. But yeah, they just come for free. You know what I mean? I don't get those as benefit. You don't have to buy them. They just come for free from my my, my bringing that stuff in from. Everybody is so afraid to bring stuff in from outside. Bring this stuff in from outside. My little, I love looking at my worm bin. It's a little ecosystem on the top of the, on the top of, it's just two totes sitting inside each cell, you know, with the holes drilled in it. But, uh, and I don't hardly ever get, I don't have ever gotten any leachate out of the bottom. Somebody asked me on a podcast the other day of what to do with leachate. I'm like, I don't even get it. I don't, I don't think it should be that wet. I don't know why you. Oh, good point. Yeah. 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 It shouldn't be that wet. No. Yeah. So, but, uh, so I have like, if you take the top off, you can see. Um, there's a centipede, there's several centipedes that just patrol the very top because they'll actually go after the worms. So they keep the worms from escaping and they, they're just patrolling the top. And then uh, um, from the top down, you, you, you see all the you know, stuff I use to feed them. Um, but once you push that off to the side, you get this, the darkest, blackest, finest, densest you know, soil you've ever seen in your life. And as soon as you start digging into that and pull layers away, it's just like, like I get a half a scoop out of there. And then you just see like thousands of crawling things, just worms and mites and who knows what else. And it just puts a big smile on my face. Cause I'm like, this is all good shit. <laughs> I, just throw, I just throw it in there. And it's funny because you know, they hate the light. So as soon as you put it on top of the pot in the grow room, you know, and the lights being beaten down, everything just, boom and within seconds you don't see a moving thing it's already <laughs> down inside underneath the mulch layer and you don't see it again until now i oftentimes will sometimes uh now i water through these water tubes that go down through my sip containers because they go down to the bottom and i just look down there with a flashlight and to see if it has water in it or not see if it needs water if it's empty i give it water if it's not empty i leave it alone but anyways i looked down one time and i seen a, a worm just cruising by underneath there <laughs> i was like all right i just love seeing uh life i just love seeing life in my soil sounds like good soil oh yeah yeah, yeah and i'm a, a huge huge fan of combining creative natural farming with uh with aquaponics to maximize your microbials as, as well as biosecurity you know making sure you don't get anything nasty in there I remember a couple of years ago, I was working with, uh, I had just started doing Korean natural farming and finally got a, started getting the IMOs and stuff right. And uh, I had my cat came and, and took a shit in one of my clones. And uh, I didn't realize it because it was underneath the canopy. And I found it when I was moving the clones to transplant. And here, the, the, the cat shit was completely colonized with IMO. And it was like completely not a problem. So <laughs> just this white mass. And it took me a minute to even figure out what it was. But, you know, because I had dosed that, it had completely, you know, taken care of itself as far as a, a pathogen potential. So this goes to show you that, you know, dosing your, your, your right microbes can, can prevent pathogen problems even, uh, even accidentally. So I love shit like that too. It's like, I, uh, 
there's a, a friend I made. Uh, he's got a company called D's Bags, and they're just mushroom bags. You know, the CO2 mushroom bags. And uh, when on my two living soil bed uh, planters, I put two mushroom bags just sitting around the back of it, and then I actually cut slits so that the uh, mycelium could spread past the bag into the. Uh, I'm hoping to coax it into the bed. You know what I mean? I'm, so I keep like cutting. Down, I'm letting the cover crop go real high then i cut it down and i put it right next to the slits and i just like come on i'm trying to coax it out i want to try to pull that mycelium into the into the living soil so far no luck but they're both they're still alive in the bags but uh they haven't jumped into the pots yet huh that sounds that's cool i just like playing around with stuff like that just screwing around seeing what happens a lot of times uh, when those bags are done like they, they're spent and they're not they've consumed whatever's inside and they're not making any more co2 I like throwing those things in the worm bin because those worms just absolutely love that stuff. I think it's just like some kind of a, it's gotta be some kind of grain. I don't know what kind, but those worms love it. Like the, they'll go through that mycelium and just go, oh, they just love that shit. That's gotta be interesting for the output of that soil. I mean, what you get back the compost or whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, that's gotta yeah, be. Yeah, just like so I, let your worms eat your mycelium. And then, so they're yeah. shooting out some byproduct that probably is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that well, will grow. That should expand. It's got to be at least a good carbon source, I would imagine. I don't know. Have you ever tried else. taking some of that and throwing it in a box to like harvest, like Chris Trump shows us? Like, take some of that with your, once your worms excrete that and take some of it and throw it in a cedar box and cover it to see if it grows anything? Well, no, so that won't actually grow much. It's actually pretty stripped down. In fact, okay. Um, okay. Uh, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Elaine Ingham actually mentions this uh, in the, um, in her talk uh, at the Regen conference about how um, it's actually a great my, my, uh, mycelium food the the worm juice so um. that's great too that dr lane that's what i love about dr lane all y'all you know she's she's old school and she's a soil food web and all but once she was introduced and even does doesn't totally believe in everything natural farming because of the aerobic anaerobic argument uh but it's a big misunderstanding but, mostly derived by the guy named scott who's very misinformed Right, but the, what I was getting at is Dr. Lane checks this stuff out. You know, that, the things that was so cool. When you bring up a, something like that, it shows that Dr. Lane went outside her comfort Well, I'm not sure if most mycelium's outside her comfort zone, but I think you mentioned she was looking into other ideas and then comparing it, and, and that's so great about her that she doesn't just, uh, another, she's not in a box. Another. We did another thing from Chad is I've been using 100% insect frass and UVA supplemental light to try and get more gland heads. Um, does that make a difference? Um, insect frass, the chitinase actually has been shown to increase um, uh, trichome production. The plant actually thinks it's under attack by insects. It detects it as an insect attack and will increase the gland head size and production in order to uh, create a sticky mass, basically create a yellow sticky card on the outside of it. Uh, I actually saw this the other day on a, on a non-cannabis plant, but it was a similar, uh, similar thing. And I, I regret not taking a picture of it with my microscope, but uh, many plants actually will, it was actually a honeydew plant, uh, a little Durasa, um, but uh, 
uh, it works exactly the same way as a honeydew plant does or Drosophila, where those insects get stuck to those gland heads and, and, and you know, prevents those insects from being able to feed on the plant. Well, uh, the plant, you know, when it detects that, that, that chitinase will, you know, hormonally increase the production of the stickiness of it, again, to try and defend itself away from insects that it thinks that there is, it's detecting, even though it's not directly insect attack, uh, the chemical signal is being triggered uh, for that, which again, anytime you can kick, you know, trigger those, those types of signals for the immune system of the plant, you're going to increase terpene production as well as uh, potency of the plant overall. Super interested in you saying that because have you have you uh, used insect insect press yourself and have you noticed a difference terpene wise as far as um, either a more, more pronounced terpene or, or, or a whole new terpene you hadn't noticed before in the plant? Uh, not I haven't so. I've used insect frass a bunch. I've used a little bit in soil mix, but I'll tell you what I have used a lot in lately and, and, and something that I would love to talk more with Xenthanol on. And maybe, maybe I can give you a question to take back with you to uh, uh, growing with your fellow growers is uh, uh, to bring up the whole um, uh, idea of doing IMO collection specifically for chitinase feeding microbes. So you would do IMO the way you traditionally do your indigenous microorganism collection, which for those that don't know is you add rice into a, a cedar box or other wooden box, uh, put it out in the forest uh, for, you know, four to, to eight days, depending on temperature and collecting the, the saprophytic fungi and other beneficial, um, you know, fungi and, and bacteria that live in the forest there. Well, what we were doing in Africa was we were doing that, but taking uh, 30 to 35% of that uh, rice and making it uh, insect frass. Okay. So mixing the rice and insect frass before we cook the rice. Okay. Oh, then cooking the rice with the insect frass on the stove with everything else. Oh, your mute, your mic's not working. Uh. Oh, sorry. I say I gotta stop you one second. What did that smell like? Cooking the insect fresh <laughs> with the rice. <laughs> it is. It is not the most. I mean, definitely don't do it in your home kitchen. You know, do it in a friend's kitchen or <laughs> okay. work kitchen. Yeah. Do it in the break friend's room. kitchen or like an enemy's kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Or anyways, so it's not that hey, bad, though, right? Because it's in water, right? So it's not too bad. Um, but it definitely, I would say, is less than pleasant. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but you, you, you cook that together and it infuses that chitinase into the rice and that gives you a huge base to collect microbes. And if you mix it right, now you have a, a whole amount of chitinase base to, to collect those microbes and a starch, okay? So now you put that out, you do your traditional IMO collection the same way you would, and then you take that to IMO2 and then directly into a liquid IMO or turn it into IMO3 and, I, or, and or IMO4 and then to a liquid IMO, depending on, you know, whatever your, your goal is with what you're doing. And then taking that liquid IMO and spraying that on the plants, as well as the ground around the plants, man, did that just knock the living daylights out of the grasshoppers we were, we had. Oh, over okay. there. Wow. I was, wanted to know where like, you were going. Yeah, it completely. And at the same time, it probably point? would have a slight, yeah. I don't know, with that many far trips down the IMO lane, but it should still have some slight NPK at that time too. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Like you're still foliar. getting a lot of plant beneficials uh, that you're applying, but you're also, you're basically applying a, a, a parasite 
for insect parasite to your plants that has no negative impact on your plants at all. Uh, so this, this, and, and in Africa, I, where am I going to go get Bassania vivaria? Where am I going to go get, uh, you know, uh, Isla, whatever the other one is, where am I going to get back to like, good luck with that shit, right? <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen. So uh, we have to make a lot of our own stuff there and, and source our own stuff and culture our own stuff off the property because I don't have an option, right? Uh, it's just, I, it's not even about, okay, cool. It's that it's, it's going to take me $3,000 to actually get it to the farm for a thousand dollar order, right? Like, it's just not going to work like like logistic wise and as is often the case with any kind of a microbial or um well this is an enzyme in this case but uh the fresher you can get it the more effective it seems to be so making it yourself just makes sense yeah and you know a lot of these microbes simply can't be shelf stabilized they don't have a, a dormant spore form you know i think about it in africa when does it have to have a spore form sort of a drought right it doesn't because the temperature wise, it's fine year round. It doesn't have to have that there. So you might even have microbes that simply cannot be you know, stabilized or, or cannot be without thousands or millions of dollars of research that you could just grow in your backyard for the cost of some rice, a little bit of sugar and you're good to go, right? And some, some insect yeah. grass. So this is something I think, you know, especially if you're an organic person, be it soil or aquaponics and want to kind of jump down the rabbit hole with the with the pest management, it's something I highly, highly suggest. And um, we tried both doing it with the IMO collection and then adding the insect frass at the point of IMO three. Uh, and then also, uh, uh, and that was what Chris Trump suggested. And then we also tried it with adding it to the rice in the beginning. And I found that it worked significantly better when we did the IMO with the insect frass at the point of collection. Um, it, again, it just, it has the food source it wants to feed on directly there. So you're pulling yeah. those up, you know, it, it makes sense. Yeah, right? You're doing it in the cooking. It's going in every basically, essentially every grain of rice is getting some insect press. So it's a little, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that helps a lot. So that, that really, uh, uh, again, if someone wants to jump down the rabbit hole of that, you know, there you go. I gave you a, a, a new thing yeah. to use in your garden. Excellent. Yeah. I'll have, to get a, I'll have to get a little one burner fucking uh, heater to put it out on the back porch or something and cook it outside. <laughs> um, someone had a question on opinion on powdered nutrients versus liquid uh, as far as veg and bloom. I mean, if in a perfect world, if I have to use nutrients and that's my option, I want powdered because why am I paying for water? I have water available to me. I don't need to pay for it. Yeah, no, I would highly suggest always going with powder nutrients. Uh, if you're buying a bottle, you're paying for branding uh, bottles and water. Um, you're, you know, you, you could, a lot of these, if you look at them, they're at 1%, 3%, 5% of nutrients. So you're, so, so what, maybe, maybe 7% of that entire bottle is actually nutrients and the rest of that is water that you're paying for to ship. Why are you doing that? I mean, I, it's just goofy to me. Like, it's cool if you have no idea what you're doing. But once you once you get once you get going and, and you're dangerous and you've got a couple of runs under your belt, you know, look at some of the nutrient calculators that are out there. Look at some of the different you know solutions you have out there if you're doing hydro, not so much for aquaponics, because as far as I'm aware, I'm the only one that has a lot of those. But uh, for hydroponics and for soil, certainly there's huge data tables on 
on all kinds of things for for that stuff and and uh, and, and companies out there that have you know published stuff as well so uh, again you pay for the powders or learn, once you learn to do it for yourself you can pay about 10 percent of what they're doing you know what you'd pay for it at a store but again that, that that's experience and you have to know how to balance nutrients which is uh, its own separate skill <laughs> and uh, what is yeah what is, i agree with that 100 percent. and uh, i had i had to hit a, the head real quick but i wanted to um, say with the i i wanted to track just one more comment on the imo with the with the uh uh insect uh what do you, france what do you mm -hmm. call it yeah um what russ was bringing up i do believe it would work at any stage of IMO from what we've, what we've learned from Chris and all. I mean, cause every stage of IMO is good. It's just, a, you know, Steve's getting to play where he's going beyond a lot of what people get fine tuning. Yeah. You're getting to do stuff, but yeah, I think it'll work anytime. And yeah. And I agree too. powder. Yep. I yield. So, so I'll have a lot of the aquaponic stuff in my book coming out as far as dosing tables, nutrients, minerals, why, and when you should use something over something else. Uh, and all that stuff is in the mineral section. And we have both mineralization uh, through ferments and, and teas, as well as mineralization through direct mineral addition and then mineralization through uh, fish waste mineralization. So uh, we'll kind of cover a, a whole bunch of different ways that you could do nutrients, depending on what your options are, where you are in the world and how much money you want to spend in it and how organic, you know, you have some people that are much more uh, towards the religion of organic and then you have the people in the science of organic and then you have people that just want to make a profit right so it just depends on, on where you are on the spectrum and some people just want to grow excellent plants no matter what yeah sorry i want to grow excellent plants with me having to interfere the least that's kind of my yeah that's yeah, kind of my right. uh, attitude when it comes to my home grow i want to but i'm not saying automation so much but i'm just saying i want the plant to just grow i don't want to have to spoon feed it that's what i do at work all day <laughs> so do you top and top and top super crop or do you just leave them alone no uh i will i do i do uh all kinds of things to um i will bend the shit out of plants i like to uh, manhandle that i like to manhandle them and uh make them tough you know it is spartan grown so you gotta be a spartan if you're gonna survive in the arena so i, I, I make them tough i don't know i find that Early on, I find that when you bend, if you bend a plant or you super crop a plant, always, if you followed that branch to the top, it was normally, if not the biggest, the, you know, one of the biggest buds. So that obviously tells me that, you know, just like a broken bone, you know, it grows back stronger. And for whatever reason, the nutrient can flow faster or whatever, because of that bigger area, whatever the reason the plant does better that way. So I do that on purpose. So I, I will bend the plant all over the place to get it to be a nice flat canopy for me. And to, I think bending is good. It's just going to build stronger plants. Um, so uh, uh, we have someone ask you to grow an experiment uh, with 13 uh, or 11, 13 lighting on flower. Have you ever tried that? Yes, I have. Um, right now, <laughs> Well, I haven't yet. I, I thought I suffered a little bit in yield. And um, as far as phenotypical expressions, I see where the advantage of that is. Um, but in my situation, I was, I don't know. I, I like to give them the light at the end. I like to, I have one light. Of my three lights in the flower room, one of them I have control over with just my phone. 
it's uh, the Raging Kush and it has an app where I can mess with the light timer and everything. And even the colors, I can change reds and blues and, and all that. And um, so I do adjust the intensity at the end of flower. I bring, I bring the, uh, in, the total intensity down and I also remove reds at the end. I also remove reds at the beginning to reduce stretch. And, um, but as far as running the 11, only 11 hours on, not technically, but I am doing weird things. I, I'm doing a, a half hour. It ramps up from, you know, it's a sunrise sunset too. So, um, I don't know. I'm doing a lot of weird things with lighting, but I'm not, I'm not doing the less hours per se. I think that's only useful when you've got a situation you need to finish right now. So you I've, sacrifice well, the yield. So that's so, so that actually there's some really good studies that I've done. I don't remember where what I th it was out of Switzerland or Israel. I I think it was Israel. There's a white paper out there where they did some some phenotypic expression on mainly around terpene expression and THC expression. I think were the two total terpenes and and THC, and uh, it actually showed that there was an increased uh, gene expression on the terpenes at eleven thirteen, than at uh, eleven. 30 and 12 12 uh, so you know if you're you know trying to maximize everything then, then that's what you go, go for but you know ideally maybe start it off at 11 12 and a half or 12 and then you know slowly reduce that by a few minutes a day uh, over the course you know or a minute or two a day over the course of your your flower cycle in a perfect world now good luck setting that shit up with your timers unless you're completely automated out the asshole but um <laughs> you know uh we're talking you know perfect world setup here so what do you think is there what about studies that have uh, possibly where we talk about we start at 16 and say every month we drop an hour wouldn't that possibly bring up the same kind of terpene expressions even maybe better because we actually took the time to shorten the day days you know well, you're, you'd actually be shorting the day by half by half of what it was so you lose about a minute a day in nature so you'd be doing it about twice the speed of nature well you could actually do it less than when i say from 16 to 15 yeah actually we could probably go even shorter than that like cutting off 15 minutes and you know two or three times a week where it would you know, eventually because the the it's funny the cannabis plant works out to where you can use these different timings <clears throat> Well, and you can literally go from 16 to, to 12, 12 in a growth cycle and then leave it at 12, 12 and flower and you have reduced. I find it, it my personal opinion is I think any way you grow, if you grow well, you're going to have good results. If you know what you're doing and you do a, a good job of maintaining your grow. But I find that it reduces overall stretching as if the stretching takes part, you know, in cycles instead of all at once at the time so you don't get that much stretch once you're down to 12 12 or even 11 13 for those that you prefer that that's just predetermined by genetics that it's not going to affect that at all so but the problem um, is when we talk about things like this is that when you say do you use a you know do you use 12 hours in your light cycle well it's hard to answer questions like that because what light are you talking about you know because yep. DLI makes a huge difference. You know, the intensity of these new LED lights, you, you can get away with running only 11 hours, but you're still hitting with more lights than I am at 12. You know what I mean? So it's, 
that all depends. There's so many factors. It's hard to answer a question straight. Absolutely. Uh, there's another question. Uh, Spartan grown, technically both of you and Steve grow in sips slash dual root zones. How often do you apply water slash tea slash fertigation through topsoil? Um, I say occasionally. I, I'm usually reading the plants. The plants tell me what they need. But uh, there are key times where I'll, I will do like maybe on a transition or maybe like my cutoff time at week three of flower, I uh, do a top dress. But uh, usually I would say maybe on average, on the most once a week, at the very most once a week, it might get some kind of a top dress. It's, it's probably closer to once every two weeks. And that's usually towards the, the you know, towards the flower cycle. Usually doesn't get anything in, in veg. That's um, as so, far as nutrient. Sure. I might I might do water, straight water. But. Oh, okay. Sure. So so I'll do I'll fertigate through um, uh, the water in the aquaponic system, and then uh, at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. Um, I, it depends on what I'm doing. Calcium and potassium, I'll dose those in iron pretty regularly. Uh, maybe even more, you know, every other day or every day, depending on what it is in the system and the size of the system and the ratio of the fish and, and the current nitrogen levels and a whole bunch of other variables. But um, general top feeding, uh, depending on the size of the plant, I would say twice a week when they're smaller. Uh, and then when they're later in the flower and they've really packed the upper half of those roots, uh, pots up with roots. Uh, I would say, you know, sometimes even three times a week. It just entirely depends on the moisture level of that soil. And sometimes you might implement something because an amendment because you have a problem. So if you have a deficiency or something you notice, that would be that would change your regular schedule. Yeah, but usually I'll just I'll just amend it during the regular schedule. Um, we had another question. You ever try water kefir? Kind of like kombucha, less vinegary. I have not done anything with water kefir. Um, something that I definitely want to get into. It's just one of those microbes that just hasn't, I haven't seen any information on it on plant growth. Then it's like in the pile. I have, I have an Excel sheet of a bunch of stuff I'd love to try. Microbially that I just haven't gotten around to. It is in there, but uh, uh, not something that I've had a time to really you know, time or money or energy to go with the, the last year has been pretty psychotic. I think for most people in the cannabis industry, for one reason or another, uh, especially since October, it's been quite the roller coaster. So, um, all right. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's any other questions from chat here. Anything else you'd like to mention before we wrap things up? Uh, we've had you for quite a while. Uh, no, I just would, Shout out to the Michigan Bros Grow Show because that's the uh, those are. Oh my... yeah, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit quickly about the the, the different shows that you do? You do the um, yeah Michigan, Michigan Grow Show and then the uh, grow uh, what was it the grow, growing with my growing with my fellow growers, growers, but that's on the Cheap Home Grow channel. So that one's a little confusing because the channel name is different than the show. But um, that one's really information dense. So the Cheap Home Grow channel. For me, that was like super learning. We we uh, we have some really good minds on that. Um, we have people with botany degrees. We have you know Matthew Gates, who's an entomologist, with some really good minds. Uh, Brandon Rust, who's uh, I'm really impressed with him because he's doing you know organically grown living soil at a huge commercial level. You know, oh. like like you, Steve, 
And so I love seeing that because how many times do you hear that you can't do that? You know what I mean? So uh, that's awesome. Uh, we have a lot of other guests. I'm forgetting people can can grow from Canada. I love getting perspectives from all over. You know what I mean? I just love getting different perspectives. So that shows special to me because of that. The Michigan Bro Grow Show. We do a live show every uh, Sunday where uh, we just hang out. We don't we don't ever have a uh, usually even have topics. We just show up and, and you can it tell you can tell that we're friends, though, because it doesn't matter. We don't need to show up. We don't have to have a topic. We just hang out. We talk, grow. And we have a good time. And then uh, on Friday nights, I uh, try to get on. I usually am on the Grandmaster Level show now, and uh, he runs his show on YouTube and is through Zoom. And um, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody. I don't know. I just try to get on all the shows I can because I just love them. Uh, usually on Tuesdays, I try to get on uh, Fumador is doing a show too, uh, but his is only for an hour. He is like a smoke stash. So uh, that was a cool show too. I think that's all. Oh, Eagle Gardens. I almost forgot about him. Talking shit with Eagles. I did, I did, one, uh, I did one episode with him, but I'm usually in his chat for the first little bit. Then it's way past my bedtime and I got to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, we're... Uh... That it's always awesome to to come have support our other other growers and stuff like that. I was just over on both the do grows and the the growcast, and uh, I've been talking to some other people. Uh, we have a couple of other uh, podcasters in the pipeline uh, that we're looking to bring on the show, so we're always always happy to do that. Um, we're about to hit our two hundredth episode next week. Uh, I've been trying to figure out who we're going to do it. I've, I've reached out to a couple of cooler guests that have been on the list of people that we haven't ever gotten around to getting on the show. Uh, and I'm fingers crossed, desperately trying to get one, a particular person on. But if we can't get them on, uh, we'll do something cool. My other thought was maybe bringing a whole bunch of podcasters on and just doing like a, hey, like, like a jam powwow with a whole bunch of other people that also put out content. So that was the other idea I had for that, but uh, we haven't quite decided on what we're going to do for our 200th episode yet, but it is crazy to think about, uh, you know, Marty and I doing this. Marty and I originally met arguing on over whether or not how, how to grow aquaponics became really good friends. Cause we realized both of us were the only two people intelligent enough to actually have an argument over that conversation <laughs> and then decided to make this podcast. So um uh it's really funny how people meet in this industry and then become you know some of the best uh friends uh uh it can be uh sometimes over a rivalry uh and be some of your best buddies uh, uh you know a year later so it's uh, and then uh you know years later four or five years later you're like on the 200th episode of your podcast and you're like what the hell happened <laughs> so well congratulations uh, always, man that's fucking awesome and you know what that's it's cool that you're still doing this because you know there's a lot of people that, you know, they're here for a little bit, then gone here for a little bit, then gone. So it's, it's, it's awesome to have some OGs that are still, still doing it in 200 episodes, man. That's badass. Well, and to me, to me too, this is how I stay current on the industry, right? I can pull people on that. I want to ask questions or learn from, or, you know, people that, that are, I know a lot about something that I don't know, you know, I, and I can pick their brain or, have them talk about a whole topic or turn us on to topics. I can't tell you how many rabbit holes we've gone on and then invited a new guest on the show to explain <laughs> that one, you know, over and over again, we've had that happen. So it's really cool. And what I've loved is that, that we get PhDs and experts of the, that are respected all around the globe and we get to talk to them, you know, person to person, not, not like a, somebody that bought their book or, or somebody you see at a show. 
you know, we get to really be down home and, and, and be with them. And I want to say, I have to thank Steve because my current partner and the, my, my recurring or my reconstructive success for my farm is from being on the show and then the conference, the regenerative conference growing and meeting somebody even that they, they live down the road from me because of the conference. And then I also want to say that, um, 420 was my third year anniversary on this show for, you know, which I, I can't believe that Steve never kicked me off yet, you know, so uh, he we didn't do a show that you night. And I, huh? Oh, you didn't try. You just <laughs> nap sometimes, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah, deep down, Steve's a big, fuzzy, warm guy, no matter how pissed off he gets. But he, uh, yeah, he's got a lot on his mind. We get a lot on our minds and we, we tend to, uh, you know, forget. But I just wanted to say, I, I wanted to say that earlier tonight. So I felt it was a good time to get that in that um, it's been really cool getting to talk to you know, all the great people i've got a i've got an idea for the 200 show too you might be able to pull off if those other un uh heralded get or the, the the i can imagine who's there's one in particular i know he's been trying to get on but uh yeah that's yeah we can't catch up with him but i can't imagine who else but i've got somebody i'm not going to say but i know i'm going to suggest to steve after the show and uh you know anyway We'll have to get you on one of our shows there, Steve. We'll get you on. Uh, I'm sure the bros would love you over there. And I know Chief Home Grove would love you there on there. Last time you came in the chat, they all were fanboying you when you were in chat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd love to, love to have you guys on. And uh, we, we've uh, we'll definitely figured out. If anyone has any other suggestions for our guests, let us know. And uh, we'll, we'll consider that. Shoot me an email at potentponics at gmail. And uh, we'll consider them. But, uh, but yeah. All right. Well, um. I think we'll about uh, start wrapping up the show. Uh, do you want to tell uh, everybody how to find you and uh, anything and um, and you know the the shows that you're on? Yeah, the best place to find me is on Instagram, just I Spartan Grown. Um, that's usually where I check. Or uh, well, yeah, that's probably the best place. Um, or pretty much um, a lot of the uh, any of the weed tube stuff. You'll probably about fifty percent of the time. If I'm not in chat, I'll be on. The show. <laughs> <laughs> I try to either be on the show or in the chat, one or the other. So, uh, but Michigan Bros Grow Show on Sunday with uh, Chief Home Grow also. And then uh, Fridays, I've got the uh, GML show. And then on Saturdays, I got Frugal Force. So, you can check me out at all those places, all on YouTube. And thanks for having me on the show, man. I really enjoyed enjoyed myself. I, I was a little intimidated because uh, you're so smart and I was like man what am I even gonna say but I was like you know what I'm just gonna smoke I'm gonna sit down I'm gonna have a good time that's what happened man so thank you <laughs> we had uh, awesome questions from chat tonight too it was uh yep. it was really great you acquitted yourself very well I mean yeah you, you're yeah you're smarter than you give yourself credit for I would say well thank you thank you <laughs> well all you know all the growers like what, what you know the all the community that we have you know, it's amazing. Uh, they don't think there's, you know, you don't have a title. You know, you're just a guy, you know, a guy, a guy from Michigan, like a guy from Jersey, you know, you're just a guy, you know, and, and it turns out, you know, and you can talk with the agricultural people in your state and people at the agricultural colleges and they don't have a clue what you're talking about half the time. So, yeah, never feel bad about what you're doing. That's how I look at it, you know. 
I get a kick out of it, actually. I love to teach those people. I love to call up the county agent and say, you ever heard of this? Oh, I get a kick out of that too, man. Or at the, or go down to your son's high school and educate their science teacher. <laughs> yeah, well, and they're starting to try to have greenhouses and agricultural programs now for the first time ever. Of course, if you know, well, I, I'm not going to get political. I'm just saying they're trying to have this in all the schools now, and it's the best thing that could happen in this world because the average age of a farmer is 60 years old, or you know, like my age, and when we die. You know, all you guys are going to be getting your food from pot growers, you know, because they're going to only be the ones that know how to do it, you know. <laughs> you mute me again, Steve. I can't hear anybody. Oh. Oh, oh Steve's muted. Oh, why don't you tell everybody uh, how to? Uh, yeah, I had to. I mute, I had mute all and muted myself and everyone else. It was kind of funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was trying to click. <laughs> I was trying to click fun. boxes over. Anyways, why don't you tell everybody what you've been up to and uh, and how to find you, Roger? Well, um, I've been up to uh, re, re, uh, you know after being ill for a while uh, for several years and and uh, things. We've re, we're regenerating my farm and. Um, uh, for those of you new to the show, I'm USD certified, USDA certified grower, and I grew for, I was a producer for Whole Foods for many years, and I've, uh, I've been a, a cannabis moderator since 2004, starting at cannabis.com, and, uh, and I'm, you can find me at ilovegrowingmarijuana.com, and, uh, it's one of the greatest, uh, it's a really great forum and uh, got a blog with five to 600 articles. Uh, it's very informative, great seed bank, um, you know, really friendly forum too. We don't allow uh, backbiting and arguing and politics and shit to ruin the forum. When you come there, you learn how to grow and you meet people and you can have fun. It's one of the only forums I would recommend anymore because I've even gone around and looked at them and it's really sad that the old way of uh, everybody having fun and teaching has gone away so when i got to you know start running the forum in uh uh was it 2015 2014 i um i implemented strict policies about everybody trying to be decent to each other and not and not to be assholes because so many times people that know something about growing want to treat a beginner like an asshole and it's just not right because uh, we need more growers because more growers means more food and more people getting taken care of in this in this world. So um, that's where you can find me though, ILGM. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram. I don't do Instagram much because I, I, I think you only really can communicate if you post a picture or something and it's made for phones. So I'm more on Facebook or you can Roger Latewood. You can check me out, Roger Latewood on uh, Facebook. That, that's probably the easiest thing. Or come down, join ILGM and um, and look for Lakewood. Yeah, and say, hey, I heard you on the show. So, you know, we'd be glad to help you out. And, you know, it'd be day-to-day. Uh, -day. we got moderation staff that generally, if you ask a question, you'll get an answer that day. You know, you'll get awesome. somebody to support you. If it's not our members, be some sure. of our staff. So I don't sure. generally go out a lot to uh, talk about the website too much, but yeah. 
I just felt like it tonight. I we planted almost 500 plants today on our farm, and uh, we are excited about the fall and winter harvest. I can't wait to about 30 or 40 days when I get some of those diva cucumbers. Yeah, well, th this was all food we planted. We planted four over 400 uh, plants of food uh, to try to start up a couple things, which we'll talk about later. And I'm not going to go on. So. Really enjoyed Russ tonight and really big time. And shout out to you guys from Michigan. If any of you guys know me from when we were at the conference, I lost touch with most of you guys because Instagram's a clusterfuck. But if you want to get a hold of me, there you know. There you go. Uh, you can get me at Roger Latewood or at Latewood at uh, ilovegrowing.com or you can get me at Roger Latewood on Facebook. And awesome. we'll hook up again. Shout out to uh, the Embracing Organics guys in chat and uh, all the guys from the uh, the other shows the, that have been joining us over the course of the chat and always good to see uh, everybody in, in chat as well. Um, my name is Steve from Poem Ponics. Uh, I also work with uh, Organic Innovations in Oklahoma. Uh, if you need clones or concentrate, we got you. Uh, we also occasionally have flour uh, when we have har fresher harvests, but we sell out of that usually within 48 hours. So um, as soon as that's ready. So uh, get on our list if you're looking for that in Oklahoma. Um, and then if you're looking for concentrates or clones, definitely uh, uh, hit them up at, uh, you can get them at sales at innovate, uh, sales at organic hyphen okay.com. If you need I more. I love embracing organics too quick. Sorry, and, Steve. Yeah. Um, and uh, um, yeah, so uh, you can also, um, uh, I've been working here on the grow, getting everything ready for spring. We have five acres we're prepping, uh, getting all the clones going and getting everything else uh, prepped. And then um, just been getting everything going. Been uh, today in particular, picking lots of chanterelles. I mean, the colors on these are just unreal. <laughs> the camera, camera actually does it justice for once. Um, so, uh, but yeah, other than that, uh, again, just cloning making sure everything's running we have a new pump coming we're going to do uh uh an uh you know good old-fashioned nelson and played tear up all the plumbing and actually make it work like a functional system for anyone who doesn't know nelson and paid sells completely garbage systems um that are plumbed by someone that i don't know was drunk with a box of crayons um uh, anyways, uh, so uh, I'm actually going to do a video series for all the people that have uh, been um, misled by that company uh, and, and uh, you know, how to actually cut the plumbing, where to cut the plumbing, uh, and how to actually make it a functional system uh, that actually is fully mineralizing all the fish waste rather than uh, throwing away 80 plus percent of the minerals that you uh, generate in the system like the way that they had intended to do it with the original design. So that's coming. We're going to increase the flow rate of our fish tanks um, by at least six or eight times, which is going to help. And then the, the system itself is going to turn over two to four times more uh, a day uh, than it, it was currently. So it's going to make a night, you know, the plants are already averaging 2.3 inches a day uh, in growth and veg. We're going to get even, you know, better than that once we actually get proper circulation in there. So uh, <laughs> just to give you an idea of how quickly we can crank out ungodly amounts of clones. 
um, you know, we can generate thousand, you know, 10,000 plus clones a week, no problem, you know, 20,000 clones once, uh, once they have any kind of size on them. So it, it's quite ridiculous. So uh, the, the speed we can get. I bet you some hemp operations would be interested in that. You know what I mean? Just to have the consistency. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and we're, we're actually hiring some people on now. It took me a minute to kind of prove to them that this is the kind of the better business model, but we have really good, you know, we can crank plant production out. We can flower stuff in our flowering rooms. We can put the COAs up for the clones that we have. And it makes a really nice business model where we can kind of scale up to any kind of customer, unless they want more than 10 or 20,000 clones within, you know, a one to two week period, there's, we can handle them, you know, as an individual customer. Uh, so it's it's quite nice and really you know if you have a, a DWC system uh, and you're looking to convert it over to a, a nur- you know a, a cannabis based company uh, you know uh, nurseries really are the way to go uh, for that type of facility unless you're going to go ahead and replumb that is the way to maximize the the profitability of that type of system for aquaponics specifically so. Um, but again, that's, that's a whole other bag of worms and, uh, it's, we've already been going on the show for two hours, so we'll cover that in a different episode. Um, but every, anyone out there that's interested that can follow me. Oh, also shout out to Roger Chu aquaponics. Uh, if you have an aquaponic system out there and you're struggling with your nutrients, visit Roger at true Him and I will, uh, can get you set up with a nutrient subscription. We will test your water and adjust your nutrients on a per nutrient basis. Uh, to make sure that those fish are cared for and there's those plants are cared for uh, as best as possible regardless of whether or not you're growing lettuce or cannabis we can get you uh, or organic certified or not we can balance that for you in a, uh, an easy to dose uh, rip open and pour in um, solution so be sure to check that out <coughs> aside from that hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content and uh, uh, support spark and grow on on his shows and uh, where, where he puts out content as well because remember the number one enemy of our industry is education so uh, let's all fight it together all right we'll catch you guys again next week and uh, actually on thursday we have uh, mr bob hemphill uh, the great breeder from california so we'll be awesome uh, thanks a lot take care <laughs>